Oh, hello. Hello. How did your meeting with the Invisible College go yesterday? <laughs> Although that was, uh, what was that? Jersey City used to have a Irish festival. I would go on and off, usually around yesterday. One reason or another was either too cold or it was rainy or it's like really chilly. I just didn't make it or I had something else to do. And so I missed like two or three. But they usually have like Black 47 who still put on a really decent show. I'm surprised they're still around. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I was like, these guys are still around. And, <laughs> 30 and years sound... of Funky Kaylee. <laughs> and you, yeah, but you know what? They have, they have a decent set and they sound fresh. And even if they're still playing bars, they're, they got it. Unfortunately for them, you know, it's just, this is what they're doing to make money. But So anyway, I looked around and I saw on the website for this event that it was happening. And then I knew that Jersey City had a record thing not far away. Right. Got lots of cool stuff for a buck a piece. And uh, I hiked over there and I was like, there's nobody here. <laughs> and then I, I go on to their page and somebody said, look at this. I was here and there's nobody here. So if they're going to cancel this ship. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> That's it. Do what I'm telling you. I I know, and I figured, why wouldn't they have it? Also, it kind of sucks that they actually didn't have it yesterday because the weather was beautiful. It was warm. Yes. And it was, although it would have encouraged mass drunkenness, because <laughs> you know that crowd. Yes, I do. Hey, I love my flogging Molly, so I know how that goes. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, so we'll do this. Okay. All right, let's go back to superheroes. Listen to Weird Scenes Inside the Goldmine, your central guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Tonight, we're finally going to wrap up this damn superhero thing. <laughs> Big Papa Online Network on Block Talk Radio. So, good evening, and welcome to pretty much the end. This is it, on the sixth season of Weird Scenes Inside the Goldmine, your essential guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Drop in for a spell and join me, Doc Savage, and my co-host, Mr. Lewis Paul, as we discuss the beloved, the hated, the weird, and the wonderful world of cult film, music, television, and more. So, as I mentioned, we are finishing up our superhero talk tonight, which has been ongoing. Uh, You know, just going into the research for this blew it up dramatically from our original intentions, because, you know, we had those DC movies, and then the earlier Corman and Fox productions that went throughout the early 2000s to mid-2000s. And now we're finally at the Marvel Studios productions that most people, I'd hazard to guess, consider when they think of the superhero films per se. They're thinking of Marvel Studios films. Just the, the continuity and, uh, you know, it's been going on for 10 years now, literally. Uh, this started in 2008. The Marvel Studios appeared, I think this may have been either at or just prior to the Disney takeover of Marvel. And they kind of saw what was going on with the Fox licenses, some being good, like we discussed, a lot of it being, eh. Especially in retrospect, you look back and you're like, well, at the time we were very happy to have superhero films that were somewhat faithful to the comic books at all. But, you know, looking back, a lot of them don't hold up as well as what would come next. Uh, Because, I guess, being invested directly, you know, Marvel to Disney, they had more of a personal investment in keeping the properties closer to the way they're supposed to be, I guess. Mm -hmm. I mean, 
for old-time fans like us who grew up in the stuff in the 60s and the 70s, these things are still way to fuck off. But, you know, for if you're like a Bendis fan or whatever the hell who's reading stuff nowadays, you know, Squirrel Girl or whatever, which, by the way, is actually a really funny comic. But, you know, the newer stuff, that's kind of where they're pulling a lot of it from. They take some of the old ideas, some of the old concepts, some of the older characters, and then they throw in a lot of this new retconning that they did that just kind of fucked everything up, I'm sorry. And they put it together, and you get something that's pretty close to at least modern comic books. It's got enough of the old stuff to keep us happy, the older crowd, and it's got enough of the new gobbledygook, I guess, to keep the younger crowd happy. I don't know how much crossover there is, I will say that, because comics is too damn expensive. It's not kids going to the store and saying, okay, Dad, can I have a buck? And buying four or five comics. It's Now it's like five bucks a pop. So who the hell's going to do this besides the older crowd that's just diehards and doesn't want to give up on the new stuff? And, you know, I'm a member of some groups on uh, various social media that are old comic fans, and most people say the same thing, like they gave it up at some point, whether it be during Civil War, whether it be in the early 90s, or whether it be last week. A lot of people are just kind of dropping out at this point. So how mm-hmm. long comics can exist as a physical medium? I don't know. I do know one or two people that do the virtual things where they download them online. Hey, if you like that, whatever. But nonetheless, that's where these things are going to and coming from. I did try that, and I, I put it on my Kindle, and I, it just it was just an experiment. And I just I can't do this. You know, I, I... Do you remember when they had those DVDs of the comic books where they would sort of put, you know, they'd make the panels move, and they had the text in there, but they would have people talk? Like they did ones for Daredevil and the, mm-hmm. uh, the Ultimates, and yeah. Yeah, yeah. And That's they, what that reminds me of. They even did the, one of the last ones I remember that they actually were promoting pretty big was they did one for Watchmen. I didn't even get it because I just like, you know, I, I just can't do this. Yep. Yeah, I was like, I, I don't get it, but I can see how if you're younger and you really don't want to sit there and read printed pages, maybe you can pull it off, but it's also not animated, so I don't get it. But whatever. The bottom line is Marvel Studios finally stepped up to the plate and started taking back control. They still had a couple of licenses floating around out there. There. You know, we talked about the Fox films that were still going. But 2008, Iron Man shows up. And it's kind of a big change, especially if you're talking about, you know, the X-Men movies or the earlier Spider-Man movies. Robert Downey Jr. comes in. That was a dark horse candidate. I mean, he was mm-hmm. just gotten off of those drunken stone driving things and all his heroin charges and all sorts of stuff that was going down that was just kind of uncomfortable Hollywood gossip. And he delivers a performance that's like... And he still is, to this day, still doing that character. He was Tony Stark. I mean, and not only that, I've had people say that he reminds them of me. <laughs> There's a lot of <laughs> identification with this character, the way he is. I mean, obviously, I ain't rich and famous or whatever the hell, but the the attitude, let's put it that way. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, what do you want to call it, eccentric genius that uh, kind of goes astray. Mm. But we'll leave it at that. Nonetheless, this fantastic performance he delivers that, you know, even with other people that came later and did equally good performances for their own character, like Chris Evans, he still mm. really shines. He really stands out in the crowd. Even when you're totally against him, like in that Civil War Iron Man one. You know, hopefully you're against him unless you're a Fox News fan. Anyway, he's also got a bunch of people that show up in this original one. The original Rhodey, those of you who remember the 80s comics, the ones that Bob Layton did with David Michelini, Rhodey was kind of his Vietnam sidekick slash helicopter guy. I guess they were taken from Magnum P.I. with TC. It was that sort of relationship. And he later became War Machine, which was kind of lame. But nonetheless, that's what they were doing here. 
I like this guy a lot. They got somebody later that was who's still doing it now. Oh, uh, the original was Terrence Howard, right? Yes, he does a much better roadie. I mean, it's more true to the comics. He's a better character. He's believably an ex-marine, if you will, or Air Force, whatever the hell he's supposed to be. He's always a, he's a chip on the shoulder guy, and I think that's what happened yes. to him getting bumped down to the series. Exactly. They got somebody that was safe afterwards, a comic figure. Yeah, I think I think there was something going on there that was one of the few Hollywood stories we don't know anything about. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he had dependency issues or, or apparently not. He's still on a major network show. Uh, he has been for a couple of years now, and he does movies on occasion. But there was something going on, and and again, I don't know what it was, but I've seen him in some really good things, and I was like, I like this guy too, and. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he always struck me as somebody on the edge. But you know, yeah. you need if you look at all the guys or most of the guys in the in these major parts in the series that we're going to discuss tonight, they're all actors with the edge. They got mm-hmm. something edgy going on. Yes, sir. Yeah, even even with uh, Chris doing Thor, not so edgy in the first two pictures, but by the third one and and Infinity Wars, the guy's got such an edge going on. You don't know what's mm-hmm. going on with him. And uh, yeah, he got replaced by Don Cheadle, the happy guy. Uh, yeah, that's exactly it, the happy guy. You know, oh, Sinbad. <laughs> I respect Don Cheadle though, because he's really good in a lot of pictures. Uh, he's he's a lot of fun, although. Wasted, you know, his performances are wasted in the you know the big George Clooney series, the uh, Ocean's Eleven, the uh, Twelve, oh, yeah, Thirteen, yeah. whatever. I've seen him in a couple of things. I really like him, so I'm not going to knock him so much. But Terrence Howard was edgier as that guy. Yeah, and one thing you really notice about the Iron Man movies per se is that they aren't good movies. What's good about them? is the characterization. Like I said, the Robert Downey Jr. really stands out. This early, you know, what's his name, Terrence Howard there, really stands out. Gwyneth Paltrow, believe it or not, fucking Emma, you know, she comes into this thing out of nowhere, as far as I'm concerned, mm. and delivers this batted out of the park thing as Pepper yeah, Potts. She's I mean, she's totally believable as being strong and yet totally in love with this guy, but a, you know, somebody who's a rival for him that's worthy of him, that's able to take him with a grain of salt and say, yeah, calm on his bullshit, and yet still be behind him 100%, and still be somebody who's going to want to be his wife, if you if you will, if things go the way they're well, supposed you know, to go. Well, you know what's very interesting? I, I'm glad you brought that up, because this is so well-written and well-directed. Mm-hmm. Of all people, the director was guy we wouldn't expect to make a movie like this. He did swing. John Favreau, wasn't he like a... He was like an HBO comedian, I think. Yeah. Yes, yes, he was yeah. a comedian, and then and then he did, uh, I believe, Swingers. He was in it, or worked on it, directed, or did both, which a lot of people like. You know, so I'm glad you brought that up between the relationship between between Tony, Robert, and, and Gwyneth, because it reminded me of, they have a little of that repertoire, 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 whatever <laughs> this thing going on that Emma Peel and, and John Steed used to have. Very, yeah, it's a 40 screwball thing. Yeah, a screwball it's, thing. it's a, but a very but closer to our millennia, like the Avengers, the British TV Avengers too. But I'm also seeing my man Godfrey there. I yeah, am seeing yeah. Carol Lombard going at it with William Powell. Yeah, there. okay. I, yeah, yeah, I acknowledge that. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, knocked out of the park. And they pulled Jeff Bridges in, but it's kind of a wasted part. Because, like I said, the films aren't that great. There's this whole thing about Albadiah Stain, the guy that took over Iron Man Industries or whatever the hell. It's lame. It came later in the 80s or into the early 90s, well, but nonetheless. Yeah. 
Jeff is actually good in the part, and he's actually invested, from what I could tell. It's just that that whole thing was written kind of awkwardly. I mean, I just yeah. said, now I just said, it was well written. Until the climax. It looked like th that was probably maybe the result of like 26 people in the room. Yeah. But up until that point, you know, not knocking Jeff Bridges or his performance, he always delivers for the most part. Yeah, it just didn't really work, and I'm not quite sure why. When you get a film that's this strong characterization, which you can say about all three of them, honestly, and then it falls apart when it comes to the action and the big sequences, that's not a major flaw to me because I don't no. really care about the action sequences. Right, right, right. But what it is is exactly what you're saying. It's, okay, now the editorial interference comes in. Now the Marvel people come in and say, oh, we want this, we want that. You should do this, you should do that. You're getting somebody that's making characters come to life and making them believably real, if you will. And how the hell are they going to handle this out-and-out fantasy bullshit? That's two different directors you're talking about. So, yeah, that's that's kind of what happened there, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So next up we have The Incredible Hulk, the second attempt at this, after that disastrous Ang Lee one. This one's not any better, really. It's actually maybe worse. A guy named Louis Leterrier brings in Edward Norton, of all people, as Bruce Banner. Liv Tyler, yes, the quote-unquote fake supermodel that was with Fat Girl in those Aerosmith videos back when, mm -hmm. as Betty Ross. And now, of course, you know, because it's got to be one of these feminist empowerment things, instead of just being the girlfriend or the, you know, the military brat as she was back when, now she's got to be a cellular biologist and also okay whatever it doesn't matter she doesn't work she never worked in anything tim roth is still kicking around that shows us kind of even though we're in the middle of the 2000s it's still starting 90s ish because <laughs> who gives a flying fuck about tim roth uh, <laughs> but he's supposed to be the abomination if you will i don't know you have bad cg yeah. and he's supposed to be russian that doesn't work william hurt shows up in this thing which is strange yes and this is very interesting because william hurt shows up in this picture as a character now, what is it, 15, 20 years later, he's brought back as the same character, remember? Yes. Ah, yes. Very interesting. And it's strange, too, because this is actually not one of the Marvel Studios one. They're still floating around the license out there. This is with Universal. Mm. So maybe that's why it tanked, but nonetheless. Anything else you want to say about that film? Because, you know, it's just kind of detritus as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's good that we're racing through some of this. Louis Leteria, he worked on the, some of the Transporter pictures. Well, why don't Jason Statham's Feather series? And uh, I don't know if he did the first or second picture. I can't remember, but he did go work with those. This is... Yeah, you know, I think he may, he's also a protege of Luc Besson. Yes. So, so he's worked on big movies, and he's worked with Luc on a couple of things. So it's not like he was... Uh, out of nowhere. Yes. Or, oh, I think what I was looking for, unfamiliar with working on large projects like this. But, that being said, yeah, it's just, it, it just didn't really work. They tried again, but they didn't get the Hulk right until they did it later. And actually, not even in a Hulk series, but we'll get to that. So, next up, this is also a Sony Lionsgate. Still, licenses floating around. Punisher Warzone, which I think is the third Punisher movie. Mm -hmm. Somebody named Lexi Alexander. Look, the Punisher was never one of my favorite characters, but, yeah. I mean, this one is one of those ones I didn't even bother to watch, so I don't know if you have anything you want to say about it at all. Thomas Jane was enough for me. I'm like, okay, I'm done with this. Thomas, yeah, Thomas Jane wasn't in this. It was... Uh, no. The British, this was... Uh, what was his name? Ray... Stevenson. It's Ray Stevenson, who was like, just... Bang. I believe he's British. Brawler. He would have been a brawler if it was back in the 50s, you know? Not a pretty boy, but you know what? <sighs> William Bendix, Pat Patterson. Yeah, yeah. He, he he definitely 
shows the kind of uh, agitprop you didn't see until what's-his-name did it much later than the current one. He knows how to take this and run with it. And Lexi, the director, was one of the first female directors in, in this whole thing. I think they thought it was going to go big and blast out commercially. And unfortunately, it was so violent. It was super, super bloody violent. Even from me, it was really <laughs> violent. And it that overshadowed it so much. It's like, you would sit there going, yeesh, okay, wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, not only was the head blown apart, it splattered apart. You know. And this is from a guy who loves Daredevil, Jessica Jones. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, uh, no, I, I just I just found it, like, ultra-violent. Now, there are those people who cream over this stuff, and that's fine. Oh, if yeah. that's your thing, they're still out there. Some of them are my friends. Hello, Art. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh... I was left dry by this. Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, next picture. So next up, all right, there's no way to preface this one except by saying Ryan Reynolds has done a strange line in his career, a strange trajectory. The first, a lot of us knew about him. Obviously, he was doing comedy stuff. But when he started in Blade Trinity, which we praised last time around, and the other things he did that mattered was he did The Proposal, which was a Sandra Bullock comedy, which is funny. It's you know, typical for one of her jobs. And then she winds up recently doing the two Deadpool movies, first one of which is great, the second one of which is funny but has issues. But nonetheless... Between then, he did a lot of big missteps that he still makes fun of. Even the current movie, he actually knocked both of them. One being Green Lantern, which we talked about when we did the DC shows. Mm -hmm. Now, this one was X-Men Origins Wolverine. Another 20th Century Fox job by somebody named Gavin Hood that should have never been made. (laughs) Hugh Jackman is in it. Leif Schreiber shows up in this as the Ursat's Sabretooth. Ryan Reynolds is in there as Deadpool himself. Wade Wilson, although they call him something else. They call him, like, I don't know what the hell. Project X or Project Y or some shit. The guy from the Black Eyed Peas, Will I Am, is in this. Sort of like a, I think it's like a Nightcrawler analog. He could help us around. But it is fucking awful. I mean, this is one of those, they already touched on this, I think, in X-Men 2 or 3, where they went back to the Weapon X program with Stryker and Kelly Who running around with big, long, sharp fingernails. And that was crap in itself. This takes that and blows it up to proportions you would not believe. It is a bad fucking movie. There's no way to go around this. The biggest comic geeks I've ever met were making fun of like the end fight scene on top of that whatever it was, nuclear reactor or some shit, with the Deadpool analog and Wolverine and uh, it's, it's just, it's a bad movie. There's no way to go around that one. Ouch. Well, Gavin Hood had done, he'd done a very heavy drama about two or three years previous, and it was well respected. Might have been nominated for Best Foreign Picture. So, you know, his pedigree was strong. But this is, this is around the time that this whole thing started up again. Let's bring in somebody with dramatic clout so they can upload and keep the heft going on the drama sequences. So we can come in with the, you know, much like the Bond pictures, you get the best technical people in the world and, you know, they'll handle the, the, the action stuff. And you got so-and-so whose, you know, CV is mainly just dramas doing this stuff. You know what I'm saying? Right. Uh, they got this guy, and so I saw the movie he made, and I wasn't so thrilled with it. But I run hot and cold on Wolverine anyway, so it wasn't like something right to run in. But this looked like, it looked like, Mr. Director, you're going to listen to us. No, but I have a vision. No, you're going to listen to us. And they beat each other halfway through. And at this point in time, what she still retains to this day, Hugh Jackman is such a star, I'm sure he had 
his own true sense. You know, much like Stallone had for years. A star so big that if you see something's not working, you're going to add your two senses. So it looked, it, the end result was, I think, somebody in the cutting room trying to save this picture. And yeah, yeah that's what happened. It's very choppy and very mm. bad. So believe it or not, this is how early this was for Marvel Studios. Instead of going through three or four different pictures and cycling back to the sequel for the first one, they actually went straight from Iron Man to Iron Man 2. There was nothing in between that. We talked mostly about the Iron Man series. We didn't go into too much depth, but this is the one where they bring in Scarlett Johansson as the Black Widow. Mm. Maybe her first appearance in any of these movies. People love her. I think she's horrible. She's a horrible Black Widow. It's all just ball-crushing, faux-feminist. Kind of like they did with the Charlie's Angels movies, Mm. but not even with that sense of humor. I was like, really? Who is this appealing to other than angry women? Awful, awful characters. It's appealing to me. <laughs> You're the second or third guy I talked to. Like, like, I'm like, oh yeah, well I like her. Okay, well, I, I, fine. I, I, I'm not her biggest fan in the world in everything she does. That being said, I really like her in this part. She grew on me. Oh, she's just so terminally pissed off. It's like, God, woman, take a mite all or something. Did you ever see that weird <laughs> low budget British thing in, in my skin? No, she, she plays. It's on Netflix. Go check it out. She yeah. plays this alien. <laughs> person it's actually a alien person comes in into the uk it's a low budget picture inhabits her body she's naked throughout and she seduces guys and like fucks them and blows them it's like a weird just franco thing done sci-fi style. this is why you like it it's species done uk style <laughs> well not not even species i'm talking about lower than that lower than that what was that Pete Walker thing we covered once? Remember that? Prey? Oh, yeah, Prey. Or uh, I'm also thinking of Life Force, the, the Toby Hooper one. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. More more in the vein of Prey. But a gender reversal there. And so, really, yeah, she's, she's, she's willing to take chances. Well, that I'll have to see. But I'm not even talking about her. I'm just talking about her in this role. It's like, wow, this is like the angriest girl on earth. Like, just, like I said, take a mitol or something. Relax, woman. <laughs> I like MLT. I like <laughs> I'm not going to paddle this with you. Also, I think this is also the first time for Samuel L. Jackson popping up as Nick Fury. I don't know. You know, it's one of those things where they have to try to make it appeal to a broader audience by gender, race, whatever, shifting people. Because everybody knows Nick Fury was always a white guy. He was a commando in World War II. All of a sudden, now he's going to be a black guy. Well, all right. You know, you look at the military, it makes sense. Especially if you're transposing this up to, I would guess he would be a Vietnam veteran rather than a World War II veteran. All right, fine, whatever. And it's Samuel L. Jackson. You gonna really knock that? No. But what really sucks about this movie? Mickey Rourke as a guy who I guess is supposed to be a cross between Whiplash and the Crimson Dynamo. He goes around sort of bare-chested with these stupid things on his arms, basically doing electric whips like the Constrictor. It, it wasn't even a demolition derby. I remember cars getting flipped around and stuff. Yeah. Awful. Yeah. Awful. And yet, I don't think of it as an awful movie, because just like with the first one, you're too busy watching the good acting. You're too busy watching Robert Downey Jr. You're too busy watching Gwyneth Paltrow. Maybe you're watching Samuel L. That's kind of about it. (laughs) Even Mickey Rock with this fake... Oh, the fake Russian accent? Oh, boy. Yeah, but you know what? He's got... They wrote him a couple of monologues that are decent. And this is right after The Wrestler, I believe. Yeah. Where he should have won the Best Actor Award for that movie. I think he was so good in that. I actually know a fellow who is a local wrestler who was in that movie in a locker room scene and parlays that into all his convention appearances. He showed up at your convention several times. He's like, oh, "Oh, yes, star of the wrestler. He's in for like three seconds. He did get a line or two. (laughs) Well, 
<laughs> well, the thing was, though, he was so good in that movie. You know, after, like, blowing his career on... Uh, I mean, we don't even want to discuss it. Yeah. But it's it's just that, okay, you did... Somebody saw you were capable. They gave you the role of your life. Mm-hmm. So... You go back to grade Z, director DVD, maybe not even director DVD, director <laughs> something, and somebody gives you another shot. So, you know, you don't screw it up. Unfortunately, it's it's a good movie. Iron Man 2 is a good movie. It's just that some of the parts didn't equal to a grand hole. Yeah. So it's not as great as the first one, but still not a poor picture. Yeah, I mean, I really did like where they were going continually. You know, like, was the sec- second one better than the first one in some ways? Was the third one better than the second one in some ways? In terms of the Tony and Pepper Potts relationship, yes. They just kept increasing and getting better as they went along. But the rest of the film was... Yeah. So anyway, now we go to Thor, which was actually, again, I always thought it was a Marvel picture, but it was distributed by Paramount, so I don't know what the deal was there. They bring in, of all people, and this was a mind-bogger, Kenneth Branagh. What? He does little Shakespeare adaptations, you know, much to do about nothing or whatever the hell. He comes in, and he directs this film. Okay, maybe they're thinking, oh, it's Thor, it's Shakespearean, with Chris Hemsworth, who, mm. you know, okay, I mean, he was a good choice. He works out really well as this character. He certainly got the build for it. He can pull off the imposing, you know, oh, yes, thee and thou dialogue kind of thing. And Tom Hiddleston is kind of this, as uh, Sam Rosenthal put it when he was on the Third Eye podcast, genderqueer kind of version of Loki, which, okay, you can see that sort of fitting the character. He's always kind of, uh, he never really came across as like strongly manly, like a like a Heimdall character or something. Right. Right. And he was always kind of slick and, you know, used his wits more than anything else. So he does a good job. He definitely stands out. I can see why people liked him a lot. <sighs> Problem with this isn't the Asgardians. There was a bunch of them actually floating around. They had a bit part for the Warriors 3. They had a bit part for Sif. Anthony Hopkins shows up as Odin. All right, you know, it's, it's stunt casting. There's really no reason for the Oh, yeah, there. yeah. Future, future Bonnie just elbows in this Yes, thing. he is. His Heimdall. Yes, he does a good yeah. job there. The trick is Thor has a kind of thing to Earth as well as being an Asgardian. So they bring in Jane Foster and her weird sidekick, who's like a hipster pain in the ass, and this guy who's like a big Norse... uh, This guy's still in Skarsgård, but he's also a scientist. And, okay, that part shouldn't be bad, except that Natalie Portman couldn't act her way out of a paper bag. She's like a, I don't know, she's like a block of wood. I really dislike her, especially in this role. But the one that really bothered me was that fucking yuppie, this Kat Dennings. I'm understanding that she's supposed to be some sort of hipster comedian. I don't know. All she was was a real fucking pain in the ass. Every time I saw her, I was just like, get her off the screen, God! Makes annoying asides, really snarky, and... You know, I can see how it's the, somebody might think this is supposed to be funny. It wasn't. She's not. The less of her scene, the better. And I'm glad that as we go on to later films, she magically disappears. Somebody got the hint there. I don't know what happened. <laughs> but I don't think it's... A lot of people say, oh, well, the, the Thor films were always kind of boring until you got to Ragnarok. Whew, I got something to say about that film. But I did like this film. It wasn't the greatest, but I did like what they did with the CG Asgard. I did like a lot of the characterizations in it. Those aside, you know, I thought the Sif was pretty cool. I'm, I'm sad that they didn't really use her much in this or the other films that came afterwards. It's just they could do without Natalie Portman. They could certainly do without Kat Danning. That's about all I'll say about that. I, I liked it when I first saw it, and I thought Kenneth Bernard did a surprisingly really good job. Because you never know what to expect when he's doing anything. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I just saw uh, in my hotel room last week and Murder on the Orient Express, you know, the one he just mm-hmm. did. Yeah. I was like, how many times am I going to see that? It's like if you saw 
Ten Little Indians, you know, directed by, you know, <laughs> I don't know, whoever. Think of somebody big now. You know, Quentin Tarantino. Oh, my God. That'll be like five. But they'll there. never have another Fabian to throw in it. <laughs> and that's like the fourth one, right? So anyway, yeah, uh, I thought that was a good version. Uh, surprisingly, it's like, how can you shoot this thing? You know, they took it outdoors. You know, they must have spent a quadrillion dollars on it because, like, the train is, hits an avalanche, so everybody's walking outside, although they're in their coats and it's going to be really cold. But anyway, he did a good job with that, and he did a good job with this. So, uh, Natalie Portman was this before Black Mask, whatever that thing. Oh, was Black Swan. Called? Yeah, Black Swan. I think it was. I think it was when she was still coming off of being Princess Sardala or how she well, was on those. Well, see, she's got a CV of interesting roles. So she's a very, you know, she came out being light and fluffy, and then suddenly she turned to be this dark actress. She excels in dark roles. And she married Darren Aronofsky, if I'm correct, who directs dark movies. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you you got that, too. So I, I, I think she probably did this to lighten up a little bit. And, you know, I, I'm not annoyed by her as much as you seem to be. It's a fun movie. I'll leave it at that. So uh, next up comes another one of the Fox films, and actually, I think probably it's their best, which was X-Men First Class. Matthew yeah. Vaughn directs this one. It Basically, what they did was they said, okay, we've gone through the original X-Men films, we're done with Patrick Stewart, we've only got uh, Hugh Jackman for a couple more films, and they're mostly Wolverine films. Let's do something a little bit different. So they took it back to, I guess the idea was the original X-Men when they had the outfits, even though they don't do that. Let's make them teenagers. Let's make everybody younger. So they got the James McAvoy in to do Professor X, which actually was a good choice. Found him a lot more. He's less icy than Patrick Stewart by far. I liked what he was, did with this role. And he's also more volatile. He's believably young and making mistakes and full of emotion, which is the way really it should be played. Most of that ice cube that Stewart delivered. There wasn't much acting at all on his part. This fellow, Michael Fassbender as Magneto. All right, again, is he any better than I mean, Ian McKellen? I don't know about that, but he does work for the role. Unfortunately, this is where Jennifer Lawrence steps in. Okay, I know what's her face there. Rebecca Romagin wasn't exactly a great actress. She was a model that married John Stamos, so it doesn't say a lot. But Jennifer Lawrence, I don't know. She, she'll always be that weird-looking girl from the fucking Hunger Games movies to me. And somehow she's extremely popular. And she goes around talking dirty and, like, flirting with old men all the time and trying to bait them. I don't know. I have, I have what, no respect for her. real life? Yeah, you, you read it all the time in articles. Like, anybody that well, talks about dealing with well, her on a set. What about me? Yeah, well, there you go. You got to go get on a set with her. Although she'll probably sue you for sexual harassment once you do something with her. She's a real fuck-up. I really do not like Jennifer Lawrence in the least. She does nothing for me. I don't think she's a good actress. I don't like her as a person. I, I wish she would just go away, to be honest with you, in terms of Hollywood stuff. But nonetheless, for some reason, they jerk off over her. And they take her mystique, which she does in this film, and suddenly make her the major character. All of a sudden, this nothing character that was kind of like in the backwaters of Marvel, comics, in the backwaters of the X-Men movies even, even though she made a little more prominent there with uh, Stamos, right. and they make her the raison d'etre of the whole fucking thing. Oh yeah, who's running the X-Men? Who's the important character? Oh, Mystique! But you, you're, missing, you're missing a thing about Jennifer Lawrence in this picture. You're also playing around with the perversion, yeah. which of course widely appeals to me. But she is because... a pervert. <laughs> no, no, stop. <laughs> no, because the whole thing with her and a passbender and the, the relationship that they have in this mm -hmm. movie, it's there's a lot of weird stuff going on here. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, yeah. Definitely. I don't mind her that much. Damn, you hate her. It's okay. There's a lot of people that don't <laughs> like her. Yeah, I really dislike her. You got more on this? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, they got Emma Frost in it. She's not the world's greatest Emma Frost, but I was happy about that. I always liked mm -hmm. her as a character. And, you know, they have this whole thing about the Hellfire Club, which, okay, mm -hmm. it wasn't done well, but Kevin Bacon and Sebastian Shaw, that was a weird choice that worked really well. It worked he, really well, he yeah. He was good. I liked him. I wanted to see him again. So, yeah, I mean, I did really like this movie. To this day, I think it's pretty damn good. The second one didn't really hold up as well, but even though it wasn't bad. I, I really liked the Spectre. Same here. Same here. I, I would love this movie. Actually, yep. I watched it a couple of times, mm -hmm. and I could do it again. And you know what? This is one of those. See, one thing one thing we, we didn't make clear enough, that on some of these pictures, by the time you get to a later one, you have to see a previous one. As we go forward with the show, yep. you have to see a previous one. This is a standalone, even though it, it, it refers to things in earlier pictures, other movies, and it has its own follow-up or two. I, I realize there's one coming out. I just saw that the other day. Where was I? Oh, the Dark Phoenix thing, yeah. And, and the trailer's not bad. I don't know what's up with that. I was like, okay, it doesn't look too bad. Anyway, Matthew Vaughn, I always, you know, he's out of nowhere. He's the protege of Guy Ritchie, of all people. And protege, protege. But he is. He's a protege of Guy Ritchie, who's done uneven work, but some oh, most of his stuff I like. Come on, swept away Madonna. <laughs> no, stop. Come on. The, the Sherlock Holmes are fun. They're high fun. The things he did with Brad Pitt and Jason Statham, the Statham's breakout movies, the, those real cockney, Brit, gutter snipe kind of heist comedy drama things. I like those. And and so Matthew Vaughn makes this, and it's like, wow, this is great. Oh, because I know what he did right before this. He did Layer Cake, which was Daniel Craig's breakout picture. And it was it was like sort of a latter-day Long Good Friday. And I really liked Layer Cake. And I thought, who the fuck is this Daniel Craig guy? He's great. So, you know, Matthew Vaughn did this. And, of course, he did the kick. You know, he definitely has his heart is set on this the kitsch we all like, you and I. A mm. lot of the stuff, you know, you could see the, the, the bonding stuff with the submarine going on. Oh, yeah. And the 60s fashions and the whole thing the with the Hellfire Club itself. How the, many people tried to do this and did not get it right? Yep. This guy's making an X-Man movie with these things in it, and he got it right. Yep. That's why I love it, because you know what? It wasn't about this stuff. This yep. was the set design, the costume design. This guy is so good. It was even better than the other standalone I'm thinking of right off the bat that is really good, which is the Wolverine, which we'll get to in a bit. There's problems mm. with that one, though. This one didn't yeah. have problems. Even though I can't stand Jennifer Lawrence, and I mentioned about how they kept making her more prominent and it annoys the shit out of me. <laughs> you know, this really? film itself, yeah, yeah, this film itself is really fucking good. I mean, it's one of the few that I, I actually have it sitting somewhere on a Blu-ray. Yeah, I probably got it for five bucks on like Black Friday sometime. But nonetheless, it is a good film, and I will stand by that. I really liked it. I'm glad to hear you like it too. Yeah, yeah, and even the score rocks. The score is good. I would and go, Kevin yeah. Bacon is really the selling point. He is oh, amazing yeah. in this fucking movie. He is the perfect Sebastian Shaw. It's all awesome. Kevin Bacon, fucking amazing. Yeah, I mean, if uh, so, what? We're into like the fifth hour of this. <laughs> this is this is not. This is like, see, this is what it's leading up to. Yep. They keep working on it, working on it, until bang, they finally get the formula right. They got it right. Not a Brian Singer. He quits. Mm. He's probably chasing little tight boys. I just read something about that. <laughs> Yeah, apparently it's little Thai boys now. Oh, oh, I don't want to know. I don't know anything about this. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> is and, he a priest? <laughs> well, 
Well, you know, the thing with Brian Singer now, he can't get, apparently he can't get work in Hollywood since uh, whatever. The scandal, okay. So Millennium is offering pictures now. Okay. <laughs> so he'll be working in Yugoslavia. Okay. I don't know. I'm not going there. Yeah, but we'll anyway. Uh, <laughs> Let that one drop like a hot potato. Yeah, so so you've got an X-Men movie not directed. It has nothing to do with Brian Swinger, although he probably has a associate or exec credit because he worked on the other ones. Although it's cool. Oh, you know, it's, and there's a really great, great, great. You remember there's that scene where Wolverine, oh, sorry. I fucked it up. <laughs> Where X and Magneto? Magneto go looking for help. They're looking for mutants. Mm-hmm. And they go in the bar. And there's Hugh Jackman doing a cameo as Wolverine. Yes. It's like, fuck you. Fuck you. Yeah, get out of here. <laughs> no, we can really use mutants here. Fuck you. <laughs> and I was like, that is so... That's a Wolverine, yo. Didn't he actually stick one claw up, too? Like a middle finger? <laughs> he may have. He may have. I love this movie. That's all I'll say. That was... Great scene, man. It's actually, of all the X-Men movies, it's the best one so far. Let's leave it at that. So, next up, Marvel Studios comes back with Captain America. Okay, the two Iron Man movies, now it's time to go into another one, Captain America. All the Captain America movies are really good. Yes. This, they're kind of, if you want to take a series that is the pinnacle of Marvel Studios, where I'm really not going to knock anything, which is rare, this is the one. They're yeah, all wow. really good. Yes. Chris Evans is fantastic. After doing that, I won't say it was awful, but you know, it wasn't good. Those Singleton did the barbershop movies for Fox. He he did. Nobody remembers this. He did the Losers. Remember that graphic novel comic? Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, there was a movie. And, I didn't know that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he played the nerdy spectacle, and he played this guy who just really was a schlemiel, but was really good at his role, and yeah. it was like, a, you know, he could box and stuff like that, but he looked, and he had a buzz cut haircut, so he really drastically looked nothing like, Je- Jeffrey Dean Morgan was the star of that. Well, they sort of went back to that in this because what they did was a really weird CG thing that totally freaked everybody out. To this day, people talk about it, where they made him super scrawny just using CG. I'm like, God, he looks like a skeleton. And then all of a sudden, poof, there he is, and he's, you know, basically buff. No, I believe they did a really good job at that because the guy who was his pal, also, uh, they they did something to him. So he he sort of looked heavier in Mm -hmm. the old version of himself. They also introduced uh, Haley Atwell's Agent Carter, which some oh. women I know love that TV series that was on. I thought it was a little questionable. Parts of it were okay, parts of it were not, but it wasn't the worst thing I've seen, let's put it that way. They've got a red skull in here. Eh. Tommy Lee Jones is in it as you know, kind of a walk-on part as one of these army guys. He's all right, but you know, it's Tommy Lee Jones. What do you expect? Well, but you had the Howling Commandos. That's the good part. The Howling yeah. Commandos. Yeah, you got the guy that's Bucky that later becomes the Winter Soldier that later probably becomes Captain America, who, you know, whatever. But And you've got Howard Stark. This fellow, Dominic Cooper, plays Tony Stark's father, and he plays this fantastic 1930s, 1940s-style version of exactly the thing that Robert Downey Jr. was doing in the more modern thing. It was great. Hots up to that guy. It was really good. He actually brought the feel of, what would Tony Stark be like if he was in the 40s? There you go. Mm -hmm. But of all people, the guy from Martial Law and Arrow, and and Legends of Tomorrow, actually, uh, which we all talked about back when, Neil McDonough, uh, the guy who was playing with, who the hell is this stupid role there? Uh, It was annoying, whatever it was. Dominic Dark. Here he's playing Dum Dum Dugan. Yeah, yeah. He was in a lot of those, those early Neil Marshall pictures, like that lovely one about the werewolves, which is, oh my God. The Neil Marshall movie, which is sort of like a Southern comfort. It was about these these, these hardcore Brit guys. They're sort of like the British version of National Guardsmen. 
and they encounter werewolves in, in the marshland. He was great in that. So anyway, here he is as Dum Dum Dugan, and uh, he's not even a redhead; he's a blonde, and he certainly doesn't have the handlebar mustache. But he's he's really good, and actually, so is the guy that plays Gabe Jones. You know, they, yeah. basically, you know, if you know about the Holland Commandos, they had a black guy, they had this redhead with a handlebar mustache and a bowler hat, they had the nerd guy, the Southern Hick, right? I can't remember his right, name. Right, right. And basically, you know, Gabe Jones there, this guy Derek Luke. Good stuff, but Neil McDonough really stood out for such a bit part. You wish they had more of him. And I was really hoping when we saw this movie that they would have a bigger part in upcoming movies, even as, you know, transposed 20 years down the road, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but that didn't happen, unfortunately. But again, a really good movie and set in World War II for the most part, so... Well, yeah, yeah, that's one thing that appealed to me, too. Let me say it this way, an additional thing that appealed to me. I, li- I like some really good World War II movies. I don't know how you personally feel about them. I think I dropped it before. Some of them I love. Some of them I love, like Rear Eagle's Deer. Yes. I like Men on a Mission thing, Dirty Dozen. I Dirty Dozen is another one, Kelly so Shiro's. times. Yeah. yeah, I mean, some good stuff. And this harkens back to that kind of ballsy thing with a twist, and I like that. And, you know, there was a brief rumor... After everybody was surprised how good, how well this picture did, that maybe we'll do, a, we'll see a Howling Commandos movie, but it didn't it happen. It didn't happen, yeah. I was disappointed at that. Oh, I wanted to point out that Joe Johnston directed this, who we had not seen for a long time because he did The Rocketeer, which which was based on a Dave Stevens comic, which was a fine picture. Uh, we actually kind of skipped that one, but we thought The Rocketeer was going to do anything. It bombed. Joe Johnson didn't go on from there to do much of anything, except I guess maybe he did episodic TV or something, an occasional. Oh, he did Honey, I, I Fuck the Kids, whatever it is. I'll hope I show it. But, yeah, there's probably a parody of that. I bet you there is. Yeah. Rocketeer, I skipped deliberately because I don't want to get into indie comics because then you have to do Spawn and Hellboy and Ghost World. And, yeah. I was like, all right, these, these are superheroes. Let's deal with that. So anyway, then you get uh, Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance, which was a sequel to the Ghost Rider movie we mentioned last time. Columbia Pictures handles this. It's actually got two guys working on it, which says how bad it probably is. Mark Neville Dine and Brian Taylor. God knows who that is. Oh, yeah. The, the same guys who did the Crank movies. Oh, okay. There you go. And I think they did the first one. But I have not seen this one. I mean, the first one was enough for me. It's, even though there was plenty with Nicolas Cage, this one I have not seen at all. Well, uh, oddly enough, since the first one was, like, not great, no. and the guys had a pedigree from the two very bizarre crank movies with Jason Statham. <sighs> I don't know what to say about it. What can you <laughs> say about a major Hollywood movie directed by two wackos <laughs> where the guy is poisoned? But he has to have adrenaline every so often, otherwise the poison will enter into the system, blah, blah, blah. So he either has to use car battery or <laughs> fake a heart attack and get that, you know, or he screws his girlfriend or fucks anybody. It's really a weird <laughs> movie. And there was a sequel, which had David Carradine in it and by <clears> Link, and now that sequel is just totally nuts. Even I said that. So they keep this, these guys ghostwriting. Okay, and we talked about that before. But yeah. here's the second one. And I was like, ugh. And we actually talked about it twice because we brought it up in the Peter Fonda show as well. <laughs> right, yes, we, yeah, three times. It's the third time. And so, uh, I don't know, I think it was so bad, it like 
Yeah, it just sank right off the radar. I, I didn't even know it was out. Let's put it that way. Yeah, it's Simon <laughs> discussed. Poor Nick Cage, you know, who might still yet get his chance. So next up is the Avengers. And I'll be honest with you, I'll say this right off the bat. None of the Avengers movies are very fucking good. The only thing that's good about them is you get to see some of these people together. So, okay, now you've got major players and bit players from the Captain America movies and the Iron Man movies and the Hulk that should have been a Hulk movie but still wasn't, which is with the guy from Believe It or Not, 13 Going on 30, a Jennifer Garner comedy with Mark Ruffalo. Mark Ruffalo. Fantastic right. actor. Oh, my God. They bring this New York theatrical indie actor who's probably making, you know, 200 bucks to do a role, and they bring him in and knocks it right off the... I mean, this guy hits home runs every time he steps to the plate. I mean, he's acting against heavyweights. These are people that have been doing this stuff, especially when you're talking about someone like Robert Downey Jr. or Samuel L. Jackson. Oh, or, I, I, and on top of that, he's a huge activist. Yes, oh, yes he is. Oh, I love yeah, this guy. Yeah. He comes in against these heavyweights that have been acting for decades. They're known for this stuff. Mm-hmm. And he just comes in, basically a little nobody, and not only steps up to them and is on par with them, but nine times out of ten, out-acts them. The guy's fucking amazing. I love Mark Ruffalo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's basically what's good about it. What's bad about it is they wanted to do the scrolls, which I understand they're going to do now in uh, the Captain Marvel movie, but they couldn't do it for some reason. Uh, some rights were tied up or some shit. Maybe with Fox because of the Fantastic Four movies. So they did this fake-ass CG thing, the Chitati. And, of course, there's a lot of Brian Michael Bendis interfering, so it's not the Cosmic Cube. It's a Tesseract. You know, he's a real geek. I don't know what's wrong. This guy rides his bike to fucking work. He's got problems. Uh, but anyway, uh, <laughs> you know, it really was annoying in a lot of ways that it shouldn't have been. But again, if Chris Hamworth is in this, you got the Thor cast in there. But as a film, does it work? Jeremy Renner, he's totally wasted as Hawkeye. I did not like him in there at all. Although, Jeremy's really good actor. Yeah, I'm not he's saying re- that, but in this role, he's wasted. Well, well, in this picture, he has a lot less to do because it starts to get too heavy. Yeah, Yeah, because there's too much going on. So basically, it's, let's do a little bit of continuity. Show all these people in the same universe, working together. Okay, yes, you've got this Avengers initiative, so you're pulling all these people together. That's what it's for. It's really for the comic geek that said, hey, I like the Iron Man movies, I like the Captain America movies, I like the Thor movies, let's see them all together. Okay, and then they fight some huge untoward menace that nobody really gives a shit about, and they have a cheap joke or two at the end. And seeing them interact is pretty good. I mean, I like the interplay of Chris Mm. Evans going against Robert Downey. I like the interplay of Samuel L. Jackson going against those two, going against Chris Hemsworth. I mean, it's funny. It's enjoyable. But the films themselves, (laughs) total crap. So what do you want to say about this one? I want to say I disagree with you. Okay. After you go on for 20 minutes, like, I hate this movie. No, I, I actually like this one uh, a lot. I've watched this one quite a bit over. Really? Yeah, as much as I did. Well, no, not as much as I enjoyed the X-Men picture we just talked about. You just like the meat and shawarma at the end. <laughs> oh, yeah, you remember that? What's this shawarma? What's that? No, it's like... But um, I really like this. Yeah, it has its flaws. You can't over-examine everything. And it's based on a comic book, yeah. based on comic book characters. It was hugely enjoyable to see them all together. That they managed to juggle as much as they did, filmmakers, to make to make it sort of work. Yeah, and that's the yeah. problem. There's too much I, to juggle. I, I like it more than you do. I think Ultron, oh, which follows this, that's really is bad, problematic. Yeah. yeah. Next up, we go back to Columbia Pictures for The Amazing Spider-Man. 
Oh, all right. Now I talked about last time how I kind of liked the Tobey Maguire pictures for all their flaws, especially three was very flawed, but two was great. One was decent. He was a good actor. I liked what's her face as Mary Jane. Mm. What's her name there? I, I don't even remember. <laughs> Kirsten. Kirsten Dunst. Anyway, this guy Mark Webb brings in this guy Andrew Garfield as pumped up surfer dude Peter Parker. Now, all right, anybody that's ever had a passing familiarity, even the the most grazing familiarity with the Spider-Man comics, what's it about? It's about a science geek who gets pushed around in school. He's a nerd with glasses. He's got all the jocks and all the frat boys give him shit all the time. He's a lonely heart, so he doesn't really have too many friends. Basically, he's like a sad sack. And then he gets these superpowers, but he's kind of forced him to use them because of his Uncle Ben getting killed because he didn't do anything. He feels guilty. He's got to take care of his aunt. It's a lot of, like, you know, bullshit, basically, heaped on bullshit that reminds people that have rotten lives that it could be worse. And somehow you may have something worthwhile anyway to get through get you through it and you know it's not all gloom and misery it's just you know life is tough all right if you like that message uh, personally i think it's annoying but hey you know the, the comics speak for themselves they've been around for a lot of years there's a lot of good runs good with that but here you go and betray that concept entirely by bringing some guy who's cool dude and he's a skater boy spelled out with an a and a boi you know really fucking lame we saw this in the theater. I'm like, wow, this sucks. And Emma Stone is a fish-eyed Gwen Stacy. What's wrong with Emma Stone? What's with those eyes? They're like offset. She has the Innsmouth look. I think I mentioned this once before. Awful, 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 awful film. There's a fellow in there doing the lizard. There's a fellow in there. Actually, Dennis Leary, of all people, from Demolition Man, among other things, shows up as Captain George Stacy. Trick is, you know, this is an establishment figure. What the hell's he doing there? What was that Dennis Leary video? Remember the, the song? Oh, jeez. Oh, I don't know. Dennis Leary was always really funny and obnoxious. Very outside comic, kind of like the George Carlin of the 90s. Mm. And here he shows up as Captain Stacy. All right, but you know, it's him, so I was okay with it. I didn't think it was a great role for him. I didn't think it was a good fit, but all right, fine. Martin Sheen shows up as Uncle Ben. What? Who's May Parker? Sally Field. Yeah. Oh, wow. I did see this. See it for a minute. Uh I was like, I don't remember seeing it. Oh, I did see it. <laughs> it's it's just I don't know. I mean, how many did Andrew Garfield do? He did two, I think. Wow. And then they pulled it out from under him because it was so bad. The stunt casting with these other people, but... No, I think because he was too old. Garfield was just... Oh, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it just didn't work. I don't know what the hell they were thinking there. Like, why would you fuck your entire concept for a character in the series and his life? And, of course, there's no Mary Jane because he's involved with Gwen Stacy. But there was still a Mary Jane floating around. She was just a party girl. Well, well you know, what I'm always perturbed about is, like, how come... You know, all these guys, is, guys who play Peter Parker, right? Mm-hmm. They're supposed to be nerd guys, right? Yeah. But they're, they're Spider-Man, Spider... They're actually Spider-Boy, Spider-Teenage Boy, and then they become Spider-Man. But, you know, the thing is, like, you know, what's what's a nerd boy want to do? Like, how come he never fucks Mary Jane in the ass? We never see this stuff. <laughs> you know, it's really like... Because this is what nerd guys think. They watch porn all the time when they're not saving people. So, you know... It's like what I quote to my wife from Revenge of the Nerds. It's like, how come you're so good? You know, the girl that he finally lays her after gets away from his jock boyfriend. Well, all jocks ever think about is sports. All nerds ever think about is sex. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. So I'm like, you know, they're probably online all the time. I'm sure, like, one of the things was like, Mary Jane, that was amazing. Can I, like, get some soap? You know? <laughs> so, yeah, we've never seen that. Uh. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, next. <laughs> Alright, so next, Iron Man 3. Again, we've talked about these a lot. Shane Black directs this one. Don't ask me why. 
it's got some we flaws. We love Shane Black here. Come it, on. It's got some flaws, but in a lot of ways, I still liked it better than two because it didn't have fucking Mickey Rourke as uh, badly Russian spouting whiplash. But we like Mickey Rourke. We just didn't like the role. Yeah, in that role, he was terrible. You know, basically, this was pretty timely. It was about the whole Bush era. The, he basically, you have Ben Kingsley supposedly as Osama bin Laden and calling him out, and of course he gets pissed off and he tells him where he's at and he bombs his place and fucks up his life and whatever, and then it turns out that, oh, he's not really the Mandarin after all, he's just a hired actor. And It's got a lot of problems, but it was timely. And again, the, the Pepper Potts, Robert Downey Jr. thing works excellent, as always. It just keeps getting better. Problem with this one mostly was this whole thing with the kid, because basically he winds up on the balls of his ass because this stupid he got baited and got his dander up and his whole place got fucked up and his company goes under and all kinds of shit happens and everybody else left pulling on the strings while he's basically in hiding and he's got to rebuild his armor from scratch and everything else so he's staying with some kid and it's almost like fucking et for i don't know maybe like an hour worth of the film they could have dropped that so easily there's so many other things they could have done with showing him down and out that was not necessary and why did you make it a bad family film or something in that respect it is probably the worst of the iron man films but if you take that section out and do everything around it it's a lot better than two was so you know i'm kind of tossed up you know which one's better or worse between one two and three i don't know they all work but it, the main thing for me is the relationships and that keeps getting better so i'll stick with they keep getting better as they go on despite flaws oh and by the way john favreau who directed the first one he's in this one as happy hogan right he, he directed the first one maybe the second one as well yeah he's in this as happy and Actually, I think he made a cameo in Affinity, I think. Um, yeah, Shane Black is like the god of fucking cool dialogue, guys. I mean, he, he made a movie, which I'm ambivalent about, uh, Way of the Gun, which has got like a cool soundtrack. What what cool movie you know? It begins with like Exile on Main Street era deep cuts. But it was about two guys you don't like who end up in a Tarantino-esque southern town in Mexico or near Mexico doing shit you don't like or approve of and there's a pregnant lady who may or may not get killed and right away we're getting dark but he writes great dialogue his action chops at that time were like eh so then he made kiss kiss bang bang which was this great noirish specimen song <laughs> no no with, with, <laughs> with robert downey jr and val kimmer a uh, great film great dialogue uh it's like an underrated classic i've seen that many times i love that movie the dialogue just crisp he's been trying to make doc savage for decades mm -hmm. and then he did this picture last year i think with ryan gosling and fat russell crowe as uh, yeah i was like wow you look like orson wells now man um <laughs> russell's like this like cheesy bodyguard guy and ryan gosling's this like guy who sort of like a pi and they spend most of the picture trying to kill each other until they get together and it's a bigger thing and it takes place in the 70s and that's what i like about his dialogue he just directed the predator which came out about two weeks ago so i'm really interested what shane black is done with that although i'm hearing mixed things but this iron man sounds like what also sounds like what happened with the predator yo you got a guy who writes great dialogue you got a guy who's Oh, he wrote all the Lethal Weapon movies. Sorry, folks. <laughs> and he was in the first Predator, that too. But, yeah, I, I think this was another one of those Hollywood interference things. You know, it's like, I think that's why near the end it all falls apart. Because mm -hmm. I think they let him have most of the movie. And they're like, no, it's got to end like this. No, we got to do this. 
So other than X-Men First Class, the other big winner that 20th Century Fox delivered, other than maybe Spider-Man 2, was the Wolverine. This was a James Mangold, whoever that is, job. Oh, he did he did the great Johnny Cash movie, man. Come on. Yeah, I saw that walk the line, yeah. It was okay. I didn't think it was fantastic, <gasps> but... <laughs> Steamer! <laughs> That's great. And I love Johnny, man. but it's like, eh, okay. But anyway. Uh, aye, aye, get this, out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not in the house. Uh, but this film, oh, sorry, your house. <laughs> <laughs> Only virtually. We're in your houses, people. I'm in the listener's house right now. I'm creeping around looking in your bedroom. Oh, wait. Ooh, okay, I didn't see anything. So anyway, The Wolverine. This film is one of the ones I really liked, but there's also some major issues with it. Now, when it came out, a lot of people were very upset about it. And I think the problem was that people were expecting more, you know, explosions and the typical, like that other X-Men Origins Wolverine kind of thing, or maybe an X-Men movie. It's not that. It's more of a quiet, for the most part. It was set in Japan. This was during his whole Japanese period. He's involved with America Yoshida and a Silver Samurai and so forth. And... It's a quiet, it's a lot more acting in it, there's a lot of atmosphere, it doesn't really fit into the more American superhero stereotype, if you will. Best parts of this thing was actually this Tao Okamoto, who's now popping up in other things, but at the time, this was probably her first role. She was a model, and then she popped up in this film all of a sudden. And I, when it came to the comic books, even going back to the great stuff with Bernard Claremont back in the 70s, I never understood the whole Wolverine Mariko thing. It's like, okay, yeah, okay, he's supposed to be so feral and she's refined or whatever, and that's why he's attracted to her. I didn't fucking get it. I was like, really? This doesn't work. I mean, even if you're going by basing off of Shogun, which is probably around the same time, it was not an Anjin-san kind of relationship with uh, whatever her name was. I think she was Mariko as well. This just did not work. But in this film, all of a sudden it's like, now I kind of get it. Because now it's more like... Yeah, she's a little bit refined and reserved because, you know, she's supposed to be from a rich family and she only had, like, one friend who was actually, like, a fake that they planted there and she was stuck in an arranged marriage and all this kind of crap. But yet, when she comes across here, she's a bit of a fighter. She's got a lot of emotion. She's got a lot of character. It was well acted considering this girl's basically just a model at that point. It's, it's actually surprising how good she did. Also, the whole thing about their relationship now makes sense. It's like, okay, here's a guy, and this gets a little bit more personal to me, but here's a guy that was kind of rough and tough and had a checkered past, and then he's looking for somebody that can actually understand and accept that, uh, maybe, you know, move him on to a different stage in his life where he's got a little bit more peace and maybe he can learn to forgive himself for shit that he's done or hasn't done. Or, Where can and, I meet this person? And... Uh, <laughs> I'm still looking. Well, and then he runs into somebody who is kind of sheltered and a little lonely and, you know, as it turns out, kind of betrayed by people in life, looking for a strong man to be both a protector and a lover, and bang, they get together. And, you know, without getting too funny, it's like, oh, yeah, now I get this. This is really personal. It made sense. And I'm like, wow, this movie is fantastic already. I'm totally invested in this thing. And, of course, Tawakamoto's gorgeous. And then, even better, to bring it back more personal, there's a thing where Famke Jansen shows up in this. Basically, she doesn't even exist. She's just a girl from, a very important girl, from Logan's past who keeps haunting him. And it's like an internal conversation he's having with himself. And yet, it's like... Again, his growth, his evolving past. Okay, here's where I was. This is what I fucked up, but 
maybe it's time to let go of that. Maybe it's time to move on. I've finally found maybe what I'm looking for, and maybe I can go forward from here. Maybe I don't need the ghosts of, you know, girl past anymore. Maybe I can move on with, you know, girl present. And it's a really, really strong thing. And better yet, it's kind of true to the spirit of the comics that it came from. Because it is very, in terms of this stuff, it's very adult. It's mature. It's not the kind of thing that you were expecting from one of these relationships. Even when I'm talking about the Tony Stark Pepper Potts thing, this is really probably the most adult relationship you're going to see in a superhero comics film. Well, is this the same director that did Logan? It might I be. So. I didn't even bother to see it because that was like old man Logan, that thing where he's like, you know, 100 years older. No, you didn't see it? Oh. It was written by like Joe Quesada. I was like, oh, jeez, and that's not for me. I'm out of here. <laughs> No, no, no. Is it really no, good? No. Yes, it's really good. No, no, I'll have to see it, though. We'll have, we'll have to wait till we get to that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's one of the few that I skipped from Marvel. But that was why. It was because of Casada and that whole old man Logan thing. I was like, oh, please. But the problems with it is, once again, the Hollywood interference. Because after doing all this big setup, you shoot right off into this ridiculous thing. And again, the superhero stuff. They're in a laboratory, and the Silver Samurai is really her father or her grandfather who's still alive, and he wants to turn himself right. into a robot. He's got a viper who is this horrible girl. She looks like an Uma Thurman, but she's not. She's a Russian girl. And I like Uma. Svetlana Kodolchenkova or something. I don't know. It's She's totally overacting. The character itself is stupid. It's not the anarchist Viper Hydra agent from the comic books. She's just, I don't know. It's stupid. And she goes and, like, humps guys against the wall and then scratches them with her fingernails. And, like, really? And then the dead, of course. Dumb. Uh, she was kind of strange looking. I mean, no matter how you look at it, she's just like awkward. And this stuff was all really questionable. I also did like the Yukiko character, who was kind of a minor character they brought in later on, and kind of bouncy and more of a street kid. I guess kind of like what they were trying to do with Aquafina in the uh, Oceans of Twelve Word Holes that didn't quite work. <laughs> but, you know, that's sort of an idea. And, again, I thought overall, despite the flaws of that stuff we just mentioned, it was a really good film. I really do like it. And it's another one that, again, I probably got for like, you know, a $10 or less blue in one of these Black Fridays. Oh! Aquafina, who's that? <laughs> she was in something? No, no, because I saw this really weird... I normally wouldn't go. Crazy Rich Asians. Oh, you saw that? <laughs> and, hey, no, it wasn't that. Michelle Yeoh was in it, buddy. Yes, um, I know that. But Aquafina was in it, and I was like, who the fuck is this? She's stealing this movie. She's some New York wannabe rapper that this really foul-mouthed stuff, like she sings about her vagina and crap. I've seen a couple of her videos. I'm like, I don't get it, but whatever. <laughs> but she was really good in this thing as, as this, like, crazy... Asian bisexual chick something sort of and she was really <laughs> funny and I was like who the fuck is this oh so she does other things yes. okay that's good to know well as internet except for the raunchy rap stuff I <laughs> So anyway, I do think this was a really good film. Not as good as X-Men First Class in some ways, much better in other ways. Again, it's a mixed bag. It's a superhero film. But for one of those, it's one of the few that really stands up for me. Well, I, I, I will say that I don't disagree with you on this film. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting. It seems to have you have more invested psych psychically and personally yes. more with this than I do, which is fine. That you didn't see Logan because you thought it was more like the comic. Oi! But... <laughs> This was interesting. I think it's flawed toward the end, and the samurai battle stuff yes. on the train, yada yada. That's all crap. Yeah, but there's a lot of interesting stuff going on with going on here, and it was like a couple of years later that we actually had Logan, which I'm actually kind of shocked you know saw it because it's so good. There's like a black and white version of that too. What? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, dude. It's like so good. They made a, a noir version of this thing. Wow. Yeah. All right. So I'll uh, see it on your say so then. Yes, Lewis says so. Okay, next. <laughs> so next up comes the second Thor, The Dark World. I continued to, for a couple of films anyway, think the Thor films also increased in value, just kind of like the Iron Man films. Whereas the first one had way too much Cat Denning and all that, and uh, Natalie Portman. This one, okay, Natalie Portman goes to Asgard, which you remember that whole thing in um, the early Thors where Stan Lee was still doing it, where they brought Stan Foster to uh, Asgard and tried to make her into whatever, and she faces the unknown and finds out she's not worthy to be a god or some crap. All right, so they do that stuff here, more or less. But there's more of Asgard in this one than last time. It's not as set on Earth. And that was an improvement for me. Even though it's all CG, it's, I don't want to say well-done CG, but in terms of the visual scope of it, it was impressive. And again, just getting the hell off Earth, for the most part, was better. I also kind of liked the the bits with Loki and all that. You know, there's really not much more to say about it. I, I think that the series did keep increasing for a bit until we got to Ragnarok. This is the Thor movie that kind of did not resonate with me. I actually like Ragnarok better, more than you do, I think. It's because it's a comedy. <laughs> no, that's the problem with it, but go ahead. So anyway, this is one of those few films I saw, and I couldn't remember I saw it. And so <laughs> I saw it again, and then I said, I've seen it. And so, <laughs> and so I talk about having no resonance in my mind or my psyche. Ringing recommendation there. <laughs> yeah, so it's probably the one Marvel film that I've seen that just like leaves me vacant. It's so pretty, oh, so pretty. I just can't. Remember the fucking thing at all? Zero, zip. <laughs> so sorry. Uh, so next up comes uh, the second Captain America movie, which was The Winter Soldier. Now I've got some problems with this one, but there was a lot of good stuff about it as well. Basically, I thought it was pretty solid. It did miss that whole thing of being set in the 40s. There's not as much, not only nostalgia, but grandeur. But at the time, it was very relevant with this whole thing about the Patriot Act and the NSA and what was going on with that, which, of course, things have gotten much worse under Trump, but uh, at the time, it was very scary. And the whole idea of clamping down the Internet and stuff, which is still going on, is, you know, terrifying, to be honest with you. It's pushing us into state-run media and everything else. So it really was kind of relevant. I never liked the idea of the Winter Soldier. I thought that was a stupid thing in the comics. I thought it was a stupid thing here. I'm not a big fan of Sebastian Stan, but Anthony Mackie's Falcon really stood out in this one. Samuel L. was a little bit less over the top than usual, as was Scarlett Johansson. She was almost tolerable in this one. Chris Evans, once again, did a great job. And I liked the message they were sending, if nothing else, because at the time, and even now, it was pretty damn relevant. But was it a great movie? Well, no, certainly not as good as the first one was. And I think that the third one becomes, probably because it's more recent, again, more relevant. So, not much else to say about this one. I think, was this the one that introduced the Black Panther, or was it the next one? I think it was the next one. Next one. Oh, I really like this one. You know, I, there's some good chase sequences. There are some, there's a lot of good stuff in this. There's a lot of good stuff in this both drama and action. It's funny. This is the first Marvel film, I believe, where people who didn't see Marvel films or comic book movies went to see this movie, and it's like, holy shit, this isn't bad. Yeah. And so you start seeing reviews. I'm talking about not only trades like Variety, Hollywood Reporter, Entertainment Fucking Weekly, whatever it's called, but, you know, like some name name 
newspapers, Washington Post, New York Times, before it came out, like a week before it came out. This is like the parallax view. This is like three days of the Concord. Condor. Mm -hmm. And I was like, those are classic paranoia movies. What are you talking about? Mm -hmm. So suddenly I'm like, wow, what the fuck? I should go see this. Yeah. I'm going to see it anyway. <laughs> but I'm like, wow, my interest rate just went from like 10 to like 20. Mm -hmm. So that being said, I think what I have to re-paraphrase myself and say, this is like the first Marvel film. People who did not see these things went to see this mm -hmm. and were blown away. Oh, you mean they're not kids' movies? No, it was very relevant. And I think it helped us in a way, and it helped like the genre. Yeah, you know, I think this is one of the first Marvel films that actually gave us some kind of what's the word I'm looking for? You know, some kind of real-world gravitas. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, no, really, because they they're not comic book m movies anymore. You know, they're not Batman anymore. They're not. But this is like we're linking this to real world stuff. You yeah. know, it's not 100% successful. Is enough in here. And the brothers who directed this picture and went on to do like the next bunch of movies um, are suddenly talented enough to actually pull this off for the most part. Yeah, I did like this one a lot. Yeah, it's got weird things. That are like, who is that, that comedian I never fucking like? Oh, Gary Shanley. Oh, jeez, yes. But he was in it as that was he the president or something? I remember that. No, no, no. He was he was in it as like a senator who was like an oily fuck Kavanaugh type. Mm -hmm. and, and by the time you guys will listen to this, you'll probably be sitting sitting on the Supreme Court and all fucking doom. Yeah. But anyway, um, you know that the Republicans have already seated about twenty percent of all standing judges in the country. Unbelievable. And you know somebody wrote on my page, don't post things against him. And I said, why not? It's against my religion. I felt like saying, well, fuck, fuck your religion. religion. <laughs> fuck your religion anyway. <laughs> well, fuck your religion are you that you have to do something about the Supreme Court. If you're not my friend, get the fuck out of here. You take your religion stick up your ass. I am friends with three people this week. Hey! One was a witch. Can you believe that? I'm talking to my wife lately who is totally a-whatever, you know, apolitical, a-religious, a-anything. Uh -huh. And she's even saying lately, it's like, what's with people in religion? Isn't it supposed to help people and make you want to be a nice person? Why are they all shitheads? As soon as religion comes in the picture, they're all fucked up. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really against it lately. A very powerful New Jersey witch mm -hmm. who's, like, everywhere. I don't want to name her. Was, like, fucking haunting me on Instagram, right? So I added her. She got like three or four profiles. And she started to like fucking say all this anti Kavanaugh stuff. And if you're not with Trump and if you know you're a fucking pussy and you're a liberal tart, I'm like, wow. I'm like, how are you? You're you, going to get burned to stake. Burning times, lady. Come on. Well, you know, I don't even want to go there. I'm like, okay, bye. It's kind of like when you see blacks or Hispanics or gays or women that are well, like, and I've seen this, that are frothing mouth Republicans. Like, are you stupid? Do you realize that you will be the first ones crucified under this regime? Are, are you insane? And you know who's <laughs> another one? That's a huge, huge, huge supporter of these guys. Seika, the, the former porn star. Wow. And, and, and she was just like frothy about it. Unbelievable. Why? Like, because, you know, like, you were in pornos. A... That's the first thing they'll shut down. Well, yeah, I was, I was trying to be nice about it. You were in a profession that was not looked well upon. Yeah. Back in the day. How are you even going there supporting any of these people? It was like, when what's his face there? The, the guy that went transgender, Bruce Jenner, was standing up there for Trump. Like, are you crazy? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> I don't understand people. So anyway. 
by by the time you people hear this, you know, this movie may be even more relevant. Who yeah, knows? that's true. Anyway, it's very good. Nice to see an action put comic book movie in parenthesis. Action comic book movie add a dollop of realism, real life, and current affairs mm-hmm. in manners such as this. Not entirely successful, but enough to make it like a go-to movie. Yeah, high recommendation. Yeah, I do like it. And you can see some of these reviews I did on uh, Third Eye and various superhero ones, sometimes individually, like the Wolverine one, and sometimes as like a superhero cavalcade sort of a thing. So next up, Amazing Spider-Man 2, which was another Andrew Garfield, and therefore we didn't bother to see it either with Emma Stone once again. Jamie Foxx showed up as an Electro. Electro, right. Oh, there's a Rhino in it, some guy, Paul Giamatti, and Sally Field once again as Aunt May. Yeah, I mean, it's just, the film I understand was bad in the first place. I don't think he got any good reviews. It's the second one with Skater Boy Andrew Garfield, which is totally against the character. And, you know, like I said, they basically bumped him after this, so even the studios didn't have faith in this direction the series was taking. What, some guy, Paul Tremonti? Come on, it's like a great character actor. Yeah, <laughs> you. Guy, crazy sometimes. Yeah. No, those are all good people. Jamie Foxx was a Best Actor Award winner. Yeah, there's some good people in this film. And they all... Lowered, lowered themselves down to be this picture. <laughs> For a big paycheck, a, you can't blame a working actor. Yeah, do what you got to But <laughs> I will say I saw a few minutes of this film, and it was like, eh. Next up is X-Men Days of Future Past. Brian Singer comes back. Maybe that was the problem with it. It's trying to do that whole X-Men First Class thing, but even though a lot of it was good, there's definitely a lot to like here, a lot of it didn't work as well. Again, you got Hugh Jackman shows up in this one, along with James McAvoy and Patrick Stewart and Michael Fassbender and Ian McKellen. Okay, you've got the future versions of them, which is the ones you knew from the original Brian Singer series, and then they've got the past versions of the younger ones, which you knew from X-Men First Class. Yeah, I mean, there is stuff to like here for sure I mean I know I like the Quicksilver thing a lot I know I like the heist part of this but it's not as memorable I mean there's really nobody that stands out in this like oh yeah this is great the the famous midget from uh, Game of Thrones who's now pops up in every fucking Marvel movie like he was a giant troll or whatever hell dwarf doing the stuff in the Ragnarok and he was in another one recently he was in that stupid Adam Sandler movie where they had the um, pixels where they had all the video games so Peter Dinklage is Bolivar Trask of all people they brought in Bishop which is a terrible character there's really not much to say about it though it was like parts of it worked parts of it were fun they definitely had a nice thing where Charles was kind of broken down and hopeless and the mansion was all abandoned he's kind of haunting the place by himself possibly with the beast around and they had to go back and kind of wake him up to get him back on track if you will so that the future could be saved from the sentinels or whatever but it didn't work yeah I know what you're trying to do but no and maybe that was the problem. Maybe the problem was bringing Brian Singer back to fuck things up again. I don't know. Oh, was Brian Singer the director of this? Yes, he wow. was. Yeah. Wow. Wow. It's weird because yeah, a lot of it tried to resemble, in great parts, the Matthew Vaughn movie. But it didn't. Yeah. But, it, but it didn't. Yeah, but, but it tried. And so it's probably one of Brian Singer's better pictures. Yeah, that's true. To somebody else. <laughs> uh, that being said, I didn't hate it as much as other things in my life. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's just... It's watchable. There's nothing wrong It's watchable. With it, but... you know, it's not, it, yeah, it's not bad. It's not bad. And, you know, I, I think if you didn't have Ewan McGregor, and if you didn't have Michael Fassbender anchoring this freaking thing... Oh, it'd be dead. Yeah. It'd be dead. 
I mean, those guys are like dynamos. Fassbender is like an amazing actor, I sure. think, personally. Totally true. And hell, he even made the last two Alien movies go from like, or three, go from like, yeesh to like, wow. <laughs> so the guy, <laughs> I would love to see this guy on stage, actually. Yeah, you know, it's not what it could have been if we brought Matthew Vaughn back. Right. But for it being assigned to Brian Singer, at least, it's better than what it could have been. Yeah. So next up comes one of the best of the Marvel movies, I'm sorry, just hands down, which was Ooh. Guardians of the Galaxy. James Gunn comes in, and this time his hands weren't tied. <clears throat> Brings in some basically loser outsider characters with Chris Pratt, who was kind of, I thought he was like an overweight comedian. And here yes. he comes in, and he's doing Peter Quill's Star-Lord, which, again... As buff. As Fantastic. Well. A lot of identification with this character. A lot of identification with what this movie is saying. Basically, it's about your family sucks. Find your own family. It's family is who you mm-hmm. make it. And the people you encounter in life that you gather together that will stick together because usually you're all misfits. That is your family. Fuck the rest of them. You know, blood don't mean shit. And that's actually more pronounced in the second one, but the second one's a bad movie. So we'll get to that shortly. But uh, Zoe Saldana is a really weird-looking take on Gamora. I'm sorry, I don't know if it's her facial features or what, but in that green makeup, she just looks freakish. But nonetheless, in, in terms of playing the character, she's fine. Of all people, the wrestler Batista is in there as Drax. He doesn't have much to say, so he pulls it off. He's funny enough. Vin Diesel basically is just getting a, a cash cow walk on, just going to say, I am Groot every five seconds. That's entire dialogue. And no, he does not inflect it so much differently that it matters. There is the voice of Bradley Cooper as Rocket Raccoon, the CG character who's actually pretty damn funny. Oh, he's- it's great. Really funny. Yeah. Um, is there great. is Karen Gillan, friggin' what's her name, Amy Pond from Doctor Who, shows up as Gamora's sister Nebula, who is kind of screwed up and tortured and experimented on. Isn't that strange, right? It is strange. And I really liked her on Doctor Who. Here I'm like, eh, whatever. Glenn Close shows up in this. What? Benicio Del Toro shows up as the collector, huh? And there's a quick cameo at the end with Howard the Duck. So we're all kind of waiting to see, oh, are they going to do another Howard the Duck movie? Will it be better than that last piece of shit? I hope so. They actually had a decent run of Howard the Duck, believe it or not, without Steve Gerber. Steve Gerber's been long dead. That was him. And I never thought they could do it again properly. But they did one that was not that bad, considering. With uh, His pseudonym is Chip Zdarsky. It's not his real name. Canadian millennial type. Wrote some pretty funny uh, run recently. It's kind of along the lines of Squirrel Girl, for those who are interested. But this movie here is really, really great. And again, a lot of it is what it's about, you know, about making your own family. A lot of it is the soundtrack where they took found music from the 70s, mostly shitty, like, bubblegum pop or throwaway stuff that you forgot about. Yes. Like, it's a great yeah, soundtrack. I'm like, really? And it's cheesy shit. You never... I listened to a lot of cheesy shit in the 70s. Let me tell you that, young man. Who's not that much younger than me, <laughs> but still. <laughs> Great. That's all I got to say about it. I love this movie. It may be the best Marvel movie ever made in terms of Marvel Studios. It, if not, it's up there. I really love this one, which is why the second one was such a huge disappointment. So, anything you want to say about this one? Yeah. When we get to the second one, it's not such a huge disappointment because I just rewatched it. But, that being said, this was a huge surprise. Yes, totally out left field. It's like, well, you got this chubby guy and which is fine chubby guys could be like you send the fucking shit on where do we get these personal trainers uh, <laughs> i want one I had, a, I had a personal trainer i look like that <laughs> and you know i i don't mind zoe as uh, gamora uh, uh, no, she's fine as gamora she's just weird looking i mean I, right. I was just the makeup you know her personally i have no idea but that's no, fine come on mm-hmm. little kink thing going on <laughs> so <laughs> 
Her sister was a little freakish, though. Oh, you're part cyborg or something. Yeah. Yeah, okay. All right. God bless Bradley Cooper and his talented self. <laughs> that guy, you know, come on, really, it's a throwaway part. But he saw something in it, obviously, to do it. Because he's obviously, I have to say, I'm assuming he's obviously, you know, bigger than that, too. He's done <laughs> lots of A-list movies for people that nobody ever goes to see the movies. But he, he's done lots of A-list movies doing, like, major roles. And here he's voicing a raccoon. Yeah, so, a foul-mouthed raccoon with an attitude. <laughs> he does it really well. Oh, yeah, he's great. I really enjoyed this film. And mm-hmm. the soundtrack, you know, that's so much forgotten. Guys, there was a company called Pickwick Records. Remember Pickwick? Sure, though. Yeah, Pickwick Records was, just, I think they were based in their jury, New Jersey, of all places. Pickwick was like a K-Tel, if you will, but better than yeah. K-Tel. Yes, thank you. Pickwick was like a K-Tel, but a localized East Coast K-Tel, that whether they did it or not, or not legally, they <laughs> would put these compilation albums out, like, mm-hmm. your top 20 favorite number one hits of 72. Yeah, it's like those Now things they put out, you know, Now 1998 or whatever the hell. Yeah, but but back then, it was, and, and the vinyl they used was the cheapest vinyl, because remember, it was like really cheesy vinyl, like, wobble, yes. wobble, wobble. You could, you could wobble it. It was wobbly <laughs> vinyl, like, wobble, wobble, wobble. I used to shake the vinyl, wobble, wobble, wobble. <laughs> And, and if you did too much, it would, you would see a needle go, what did you, what did you, it would bounce up and down, it's true, it's like it was on the water, in the ocean. Yeah, <laughs> Lou Reed used to work for Pickwick. Oh, this wow. is true. Lou Reed, back in the day, used to work for Pickwick because he had, like, before the Velvets, and apparently after the Velvets, before he had a solo career, he was due mysterious, nameless Pickwick-type music, like the amazing B-Boys or whatever the fuck, I don't know. But did he do any Power Records? (laughs) Those are awesome. (laughs) Oh, well, there's that, too. That was a weird jersey outfit nobody knows anything about. (laughs) I remember them. So anyway, Pickwick used to put this type of stuff, and it was like, you know, like, uh, oh, what's the other one? Bo Donaldson and the Haywoods, Billy Don't Be a Hero, remember that? Oh, yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah, it was like, don't go to war, Billy Don't Be a Hero, Don't Be a Fool. Don't make a fool if you're like... Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I, I, this is the kind of... That'll probably be in the third picture. So, this is the kind of thing that will be like... The night they drove old Dixie down, paper waste. No, no, the night they drove... That's classic, man. Don't touch that. It's the band. <laughs> um, so, paper lace I can see. That was... How about the... Who were those? Bay City Rollers? <laughs> Shitty music pull up to David Cassidy. Sean Cassidy. Did you just knock the Bay City Rollers? Yes. <laughs> oh, oh, no. My wife likes Sean Cassidy. Anyway, anyway, anyway. Great soundtrack. Yes. And so this is a fun movie, very colorful. And the weird thing about this is, before the movie, the director... Come and Get Your Love, that's the name of the yes. song. Yes. Who is that? Come and Get Your Love. Actually, I was talking to Arch Hall Jr. He knows the guys that were in that band. And so, yeah, they're all American Indians. Anyway, so... <laughs> It doesn't matter. The point being that director who made like who started out with trauma, making like weird, unlikable, we don't even want to watch it movies, went on to make a couple of independent movies like Slither and like Squirmish and Sleazy, whatever. I've seen a couple of those early James Gunn movies. I'm like, oh, I don't want to finish it. It's like I don't want to watch this. So <laughs> James Gunn's early career was making like. Weird, unwatchable movies with cool people in the performances, like Nathan Fillion and Michael Rucker, because he knew them personally. And but they were like really 
weird movies, and they were like kind of almost stomach-churning cheap special effects. You didn't even want to watch them. And suddenly you're like, wow, he's making this like a hundred gazillion dollar movie. Really? And he did a great job. So uh, next up comes Joss Whedon, of all people. Uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Firefly, all the crap. Comes in and does Avengers Age of Ultron. And who? Again, the the bottom line is, if you like these movies at all, it's because of the interplay. Because you get Mark Ruffalo playing directly against Robert Downey Jr., playing directly against Chris Evans, playing directly against... You know, and it goes on. But the movies themselves are pretty questionable. And this one is the most questionable of all of them. The whole Ultron thing... This doesn't fucking work. I mean, it's, it's as bad as the Chitati was. This may have actually been worse. Those of you who don't know what Ultron is, it's some kind of artificial intelligence thing that apparently in this in this Marvel thing, I think uh, Tony Stark created, but originally it was the guy who's Yellow Jacket, you know, the, the original Ant-Man. And, of course, he was a little nuts as they came out with later, so this personality came out. There's a whole thing where he wanted to screw his mother. They came out in the 70s. So he was trying to make a, a parallel robot wife that was really implanted with Janet Van Dyne's personality. It's just a weird thing in the first place to touch on. And then they throw it into this bombastic, you know, lots of explosions, not much plot kind of a movie. And it's, I don't know, it, it was bad. Everybody kind of agrees that this film was not good at all. I don't know what else to say about it other than just, you know, you're probably better off avoiding it unless you really just want to see these guys interplay with each other, which, you know, is always worth seeing, but I would edit it out, you know, take like 27 minutes out of this two-hour film and you're good. <laughs> How about you? Well, yeah, I, I agree with you on the interplay is very good. You know, all those people are back. Just Whedon directed this. I think he took it over from somebody, if I, memory serves correct. I think you're right. I forgot who. Yeah, because Just Whedon from Buffy and Firefly and, you know, shit. So the guy's CV is really pretty terrific. Mm-hmm. But doing this, I don't know. <sighs> The Age of Ultron, he, c- he comes across as a demagogue. He comes across as, like, your worst nightmare. Like, forget about Satan. This guy's, like, totally... He hates all organic life. Yes, yes. So good or bad, for him or against him, it doesn't matter. And so it, it, it becomes a bit of a chore. It's also a, it's one of the few movies that's a bit overlong because you feel its length. And, and no, we're not that kind of length, girls. <laughs> but, you know... <laughs> Why are you so big? No, it's... <laughs> hey, where is this show without the fun? So, <laughs> no, but seriously, you really do feel like after two and a half hours, it's so going on. Yeah. But that being said, there's a lot this is a lot of good stuff in this picture. And, and it's just that... It's not a good thing. It's, no, that's you saying that. I, I say there's just a lot of darkness in this movie. And there's a lot of... They were not able to, in my mind, justifiably balance it correctly. Yeah. And and we ended with a movie that needed another picture. Well, we knew there was going to be another film, but we know where, when, or how. So next up, a fellow named Peyton Reed does Ant-Man, which is kind of a weird sleeper. A lot of people like the new one better. I like them both, but I think this one was actually better, except for the fact that you didn't get as much of the Wasp, because she hasn't become the Wasp until the second film. Phil Rudd is in this, or Paul Rudd, sorry, as uh, Scott Lang's Ant-Man. So those of you who remember the comics, this is the one later on with the daughter who becomes Cassie, the, the giant man from the New Avengers. Evangeline Lilly's in this as Hope Van Dyne, who is, as it 
turns out later, the daughter of Janet Van Dyne and Hank Pym. In this one, she has one issue, which is that she's going around in this horrible flip wig, trying to look like Louise Brooks, and it's just, it, it's not very flattering. Thankfully, they got rid of that in the new film. But otherwise, it's lots of fun. It's, it's a cheap comedy, basically, and most of all, it's a heist film. And it's a buddy heist film. I like his sidekicks in this one. Michael Pena is one of them. There's a yellow jacket in there who's a baddie. It's really small scale, literally, you know, small scale Ant-Man. You know, this whole thing's like fighting with Legos and toy trains and whatever. Michael Douglas is in it for a little bit, not as much as he would be in the next film. But I think it was a lot of fun. I think this picture really had what it was trying to do dead on. It was not a big picture. It was not meant to be an Avengers or a, oh, look, everybody must go see Iron Man. This is just kind of like a a sleeper film for those who wanted an extra superhero film that was a little bit different a little more intimate a little more fun and I really enjoyed the hell out of this one and I kind of like the second one as well but not as much it's a fun movie it's a fun movie you never know what to expect out of these like add-on Marvel comic things but it's it's fun you know Michael Douglas is in it for a bit probably a little longer than you than you mentioned but it's fun and Paul Rudd, of all people, he's a, he tried to break him out as a rom-com kind of leading guy. It didn't work. He might have even been in a movie with Jennifer Lawrence. Uh, no, the other one, Jennifer Lopez, who's been around for 600 years already. You know, she <laughs> give it up, baby. I just feel like she's in a new one coming out where she plays a maid. Come on, what fucking maid is Giggly like, all over again? <laughs> no, it's just like sort of like your, your mature Latino grandmother, you know, that kind of thing. You know? Maybe like, they're the Arnold Schwarzenegger story. <laughs> Hey, we like Arnold. I mentioned. Oh, I know. Ooh, good one. Ah. Took you a minute. Uh, go ahead. What's wrong with that? Anyway, so. What's wrong with that one was scary looking, the real life one, but go ahead. Uh, yeah, I know, I know. But you know what? So was his wife, but I know. Yeah, so, okay. Where was it? Help me out. You were talking about Ant Man. Yeah. And Paul Rudd. Yeah, Rose. yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, so. It was fun, and it was bubbly, let's say, sort of. Uh, yeah. yeah, it was fine. I, thought, yeah. I enjoyed it. So next up comes, I think, the last of the 20th Century Fox films. They finally pulled the license from them after this one last guess that should have never been made, the Fantastic Four, once again. Now... Is it better than Rise of the Silver Surfer? Well, you don't have the comedy and the interplay between Ben and Johnny, but it has its pluses and minuses. I went into it in one of these uh, dollar theater type jobs with everybody saying, oh my God, this film is so horrible. And I was like, yeah, you know, for the first hour or so, it's not that bad. It kind of gets some of the things right, even though it's a little dark. And then it goes right down the crapper in the second half. So it is really bad. Uh, but is it as bad as everybody else says? Eh, probably not, at least in the early half. Uh, a bunch of nobodies in this. Michael B. Jordan, Kate Mara, Jamie Bella, Miles Teller. I mean, who gives a fuck? Who are these people? And there's a Doctor Doom, a Toby Cabell. The first half, which kind of worked, was the origin story all over again. But it's kind of believably set, almost like an early 60s thing. Grimm's living working in a junkyard. He's kind of from the rough edge of town. Richards is kind of a pretty boy, rich guy. And kind of with his head up his own ass doing like science experiments. And then he gets involved with the storms. And they all do their little spaceship trip into whatever. This time they actually don't go into space, but into the negative zone. Then things get really stupid. That's kind of where the whole film falls apart. So once they get past the original characterization, such as it is, which, you know, works well enough, I guess. It's not great or anything, but it's passable. That's when it just goes... Whew. 
you hear the toilet flushing. Uh, there's really nothing else to say about it. It just really goes down a toilet. Doctor Doom has mysterious mystical powers that involve like throwing negative zone rocks around at people. I don't know. I think your notes are a couple of years old. <laughs> Michael B. Jordan was in Creed. He's the lead. He's in Creed too, and he was the bad guy in Black Panther. Okay. And oh, that guy. Yeah. All right. All right. So he's got some credible stuff, and the other guys are also been around a lot since then. This is a one-off. I will say that they thought they were going to do more of these, and they didn't. Because unlike the Tim Story ones, it tanked really bad. Yeah, you know, I think. Yeah, I think they should just give up on Fantastic Four because it's juvenile. Yeah. You can't really work with this. Mm-hmm. You, 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 it's just there's no way you could do anything with this property. Um, I, I don't think you could do anything with this property dramatically and make it appeal to a modern audience, teenage. Right, teenage, juvenile, or mature audiences, unlike the, you know, for better or worse, unless it, unlike the success they're doing with the Avengers. Well, what it is, it's a very, it's, it's the first thing Stanley wrote. It's the first modern superhero comic. It kind of beat out all the DC stuff. I get that. But that's the problem. That, but... It's time locked. It's a 50s family. And the scientist is the most respected father figure, and then you've got the uncle and the, the son, and but it just nobody cares about that shit anymore. It doesn't work like that, you know. Nobody's really in those kind of relationships or sees things that way. So true, true indeed. But see, even if you update them like they did, they made you know made one character black, they made yeah. one character you know Eurasian, you know they made one character blah blah blah. It's it's also about they gotta drop the interest in the Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. Nobody's really interested in the Fantastic Yeah, the space program, that stuff is all old hat. Yeah, it's old hat. It's 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 like waiting, watching Quatermass for crying out loud. <laughs> oh, that's better. <laughs> but but Quatermass is very good, better it's timeless, so you could say in a way. This is what we say to Marvel, Marvel don't give a show we say about Marvel dropped the Fantastic Four. Next up comes Deadpool, which again Right after the Guardians, this was another left field, you know, mm-hmm. not really done by Marvel Studios per se. Nobody was expecting anything of it, and bats it right the fuck out of the park. One of the best Marvel movies ever made. I love this movie. It's an R-rated Marvel movie, people. When you expect to, you don't even see R-rated horror movies anymore. It's an R-rated Marvel movie. I love this thing. Ron Reynolds comes to bat here and does this amazing thing. It was one of his pet projects. Brings in somebody named Marina Baccarin as Vanessa, his girlfriend. Believe it or not, yes, he gets a girlfriend. Firefly. Did you never watch Firefly? No, I didn't watch Firefly. Oh, Uh, shame on you. (laughs) My my period is from the 20s, early talkies, and even the silence, going right through to the mid-90s. After that, I got spotty. I just don't care. Oh, no, you should watch this. It's just like Josh Whedon. It's a thing he's known for. Yeah, no, I know that, but it's just like... I saw a couple of minutes of one of the episodes, and I'm like, yeah, whatever. And it shut it right off. Ah, that's you. A couple of minutes. (laughs) That's me. It's true. You have to, you have to grasp it. Let grasp you. Let it, let the tentacles get a hold of you and drag you down. <laughs> That's the problem. It drags you down. I'll tell you a story one right. time about Entertainment Weekly and Movie Line and why I stopped watching modern movies. Oh. But uh, anyway, anyway, I just it makes you feel dirty. Let's put it that way. So anyway, Marina Baccarin's in this is his girlfriend Vanessa and becomes his fiance and. Uh, but she's hot. She's hot. Yeah, it's a nice, believe it or not, romantic relationship between this girl that's like I don't know an ex-hooker more or less. Filthy. 
And this guy that's a disfigured, perpetually healing killer mutant, serial killer assassin with that makes lots of weird jokes. And yet they have this really kind of warm, sweet relationship, which is fascinating and romantic. So it's a romance film. Like, what the fuck? Like, the other one, we talk about The Guardians. It's like, this is a film about making your own family. Here's a film about, you know, outsider romance. Much better than something like, you know, we're talking about The Suicide Squad. They had a little element of that. This was a major plot point here. This is what the film's about. So, again, I really like this. He has a bar he hangs around with, with a bunch of people that are or contract killers looking for assignments. And he's got this girl that's supposedly an X-Men trainee, but she's kind of a... I guess she's a lesbian. I think that's what came out in the next film. Negasonic Teenage Warhead. I don't know. I wasn't a fan of her at all. Plus, it's a really lame name to pull from a Monster Magnet song. I'm sorry. But you know who surprised me in this? Leslie Uggams. Remember Uggams from uh, yeah. her Backrack stuff, but you know, Solid Gold and all that crap back in the 70s? Okay, here she comes, and she's doing... You know, Blind Al, which those of you who know the comics know that's who he lived with. And he's this like hired killer living with her and cracking jokes the whole time and you know, stepping in a dog food dish like uh, the Osbournes. Fun, funny movie. I really, really like this one. Despite the horrible CG Colossus, which they even made jokes about, like, what, they couldn't even afford a real one? He says at one point, I gotta get the CG version. But it's it's loads of fun. I definitely recommend that one. Oh, it's a good movie. It's uh, out of nowhere. Yeah. And it's very unusual. It's dark. I like that it's dark. It's brutal, too, at yes. some points. When he's captured by the people he's worked for and they experiment. So how does he become... Well, they, he's on one of those Weapon X jobs like Logan. Yeah, Weapon X. And it looks, here's like the brutal, hardcore version of how this happens. Yeah, but he's got like cancer or some shit. And it's like, heals everything except for his face. So he's all fucked up in the face. And it, yeah, it's weird. It's, it's, it's pretty brutal at times. But, yeah. you know, it's... And it's it, also really, the humor gets really off color and overly sexual and crazy. But it's fun. It's a funny movie. It works. It's lots of fun. I really love this film. Yeah, it's a good one. Next, we go back to the Marvel Studios stuff with Captain America Civil War, which, again, except for the first one, may be the best of the Captain America films, because we've updated now that whole thing we were talking about earlier with the Bush years to something a little bit more contemporary, where basically the Avengers and everything splits apart because the government decides they want to regulate all superhumans and you know put them under their aegis. So all of a sudden now, if you have powers, you're either in jail or you are a weapon for the government. You are officially military. And obviously, most of these people have problems with this. That's not what it's about. That's not why they're doing this stuff. So they get into this huge schism. The Black Panther shows up for the first time, Chadwick Boseman. Interesting introduction of the character, but not what he would become in his movie, I'll say that. Ant-Man shows up in this thing. That's how he gets in trouble. That's why you start have the start of the next movie. The Vision, the Scarlet Witch, and Petro, uh, the Quicksilver show up in this thing, and they've got things that lead into the next films. And also Tom Holland shows up as the new Spider-Man, the young one from Homecoming. It's, it's more of a build-up from previous films and into other films. This is where they're really tying the Marvel Universe together, if you will, and making it more like the comic books, at least used to be, where there's all this continuity threads going back and forth between titles and from years ago going to next week and back and forth. I do think it really worked a lot. I don't always agree with the end results, if you will. I don't like the fact that, you know, who won won. Just like I didn't with the comic books. I left comics because of Civil War. I stopped reading Marvels because of that fucking thing. Where they went with that was not what I agree with. But, nonetheless, it was a good film, and I did enjoy the hell out of it. What's your take? Civil War? Yeah. Yeah. If you look at it, and if you guys have been with us the last three shows, by far, the Captain America movies are just like, fucking really terrific they're probably the best cinema you can yeah. get in the last 20 years i have to 
Yeah, I'm going out on that limb because what we said about the first one, what we said about the second one, and this picture, wow. Really, I mean, it's not just about comic books. It's about the real world. A lot of the real world, politics. Mm -hmm. It's about choosing sides. Yes. Where you are, where you stand as a person. Where you are, where you stand as a person, as you just... And what it could cost you. Right, what it could cost you. And also about people you think were your your brothers and sisters, like like what's going on with Hawkeye and Scarlet, Black Widow. Yeah, who certain people, because I don't want to ruin anything for people who have not seen this, if, if you may exist on this earth, because the movie made like a billion dollars. But still... There are people, there are characters who thought that these people were their blood, like a family, you know, but let's call it a big extended family, like, these are your people. And then they say to you, you know what, but maybe we shouldn't, we shouldn't make waves. Maybe we should write this, because the whole thing, you know, and this is what's going on today. Yes, thank you. We shouldn't make waves, we should write this out, because we don't agree with this, but if we write it out, and we'll get through this, and that's a lot of the the thing going on with this. No, like Chris Evans says, no, we're not writing this out. I don't agree. That's why I like the Captain America film that I mentioned so much. Actually, both of them is this very point. It's because that's where I stand. There are people that are rabid, you know, for this kind of crap that are, you know, basically against uh, America and against humanity and against, you know, right thinking and other human beings out of selfishness or stupidity or whatever it is. But a lot more people are just kind of, like you said, in the middle somewhere saying, well, you know, maybe it's not so bad. Maybe this is a plus. Maybe this will end soon. Maybe they'll go away. It's, It's almost like in the 40s with appeasement. You know, oh, yeah, maybe if we appease Hitler, he'll go away. And I am of the stance that no fucking way. You have to stand up and be counted at whatever that costs because this can't be allowed to stand. If you are a human being... Well, yeah, you know, appeasement is like, what's going on right now? You know, I get, I see, I'm seeing so much of stuff with Kavanaugh. Yes. And oh, by, the, by, by the time the show comes out, it will be decided one way or the other. Yeah. This guy is like a really weird... Even I call him creepy. So yeah. you know he's creepy. Seriously, no jokes. Is all he's a jokes freak. Inside. Yeah. There's something creepy about this fuck. Why? The way he looks, the way he speaks. The way he reacts. Look at the his way reactions. He reacts. So he's going to like decide on some of the top most important laws in this country with a bunch of other creepy fucks. This is a like frat he's... boy that's proud of gangbangs and shit. Come yeah, on. come on, people. <laughs> and, and so are, are the Republicans that hard up that they want a creepy fuck like this in there? Yeah, they don't care. Come on. They're just sitting with it. And, and this is the kind of thing that's going on in this movie, not liberally per se no but in the, in the vein it's like it's just know, in terms of standing up and being counted against what you know to be wrong forget about yes. politics let's not make this left versus right let's make this reality you see something that you know is wrong people that are not related to you that are in the same building as you or in the same supermarket or whatever and you see a bunch of bullies come up and beating the crap out of them and maybe one waves a badge around and says you can do whatever the fuck we want look the other way are you going to do that a lot of people will I will jump in there. I will be arrested for this. Fuck you guys. You are in the wrong. I'm going to stop this if I can. Well, this is also a movie that introduces Black Panther. Yeah, another character. But it follows the last one, uh, which was Winter Soldier, correct? Mm -hmm. Because they were on a mission to something went awry and civilians died. But guess what? Civilians died. People gave the first Superman movie a lot of flack. 
because Superman was fighting this demigod, powerful guy played by Michael Shannon. We're talking about this in the DC show. They said, oh, hundreds of thousands died. Yeah, well, he saved the world. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is what I look at it this way. Okay, lots of people died in Obsnakia, fucking Belgrade. Who cares? <laughs> no, I'm kidding, folks. <laughs> a lot of people died in Obsnakia, Belgrade. That's terrible. But <laughs> <laughs> the point is, or, or South Africa, or wherever it was, they saved hundreds of thousands of people. You just have to count the cost. So 14 people died when a building went down, or 200 people died when a building went down. How do you how do you damn these gifted? Ooh, that sounds pretty intelligent. How do you damn these gifted people who are putting their lives online not because they were assigned but because of their choice? Yes. Ooh, volunteers. Right, they're volunteers. Then they bring back William Hurt, who was never hot to me, but he was to some people like body heat. Mm-hmm. But they bring back William Hurt from that Hulk movie you talked about to. Be like this prick again. It's like, I'm taking over everything. You know, you people are going to work for us. And it's sort of like, oh, so the government's going to take over everything, tell us what to do. Yep. All of a sudden, it's politicized. All of a sudden, you are part, you're a tool. Right, right. It's politicized. You're a weapon. Why Why is that? You know, these people are doing, they're, they're volunteering to help. And they're putting their lives on the line. Yep. So this, this is probably... One of the best of anything of its genre, especially this genre, I always thought. Next. All right, so next up came a real stinker, which is X-Men Apocalypse. No surprise, is Brian Singer at the helm, 20th Century Fox. Yeah, you've got some of the cast of X-Men First Class and so forth, like James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender, but it's first off, it's that whole Age of Apocalypse thing, which was a big mistake in the comics. And secondly, it's just, I don't know, it's just bad. I mean, it's all CG. And it's all about this guy that is basically supposed to be some kind of Egyptian pharaoh slash god, and I, I don't know. It's There's really no way to describe it except that it sucks. So is there anything you want to say about it before we move on to Doctor Strange? <laughs> well, I thought it was like their version of Thanos, but it yeah. wasn't. Yeah, but so, it sucked, yeah. Yeah, it's not a great movie. Coming after the brilliant first and the almost as good second, yeah. despite the director, it was a problem. It was a real problem. Once again, Brian Singer put his foot in and flushed it right down the toilet. So maybe that's a pattern. You should pay attention to these things, people. Uh, so anyway, next up comes Doctor Strange. Now, I've had a lot of people complain to me about this. Oh, you like Doctor Strange? Uh-uh. I do. I thought this film was great. Thank you. Basically, it's about somebody finding themselves, finding a purpose in life, mm-hmm. as opposed to just making money or being a tool or you know being a self-involved asshole. It's almost like, okay, well, does Tony Stark find the soul? And there you go. That's kind of what Doctor Strange is all about. There's a lot of mysticism in it. Okay, it's kind of a little bit backwards. It's not really dead on. And they start saying, oh, yeah, this is really about manipulating time later on and whatever. But nonetheless, you're kind of dealing with the metaphysical for a change. And coming from a major studio, going to a mainstream audience, that's saying quite a bit. So I was impressed that they even tried. 
yes, it's a little bit off-putting that they chose to put not only a woman, but a white woman of androgynous nature as the ancient one, but, you know, so what? They took Wong, who was technically the, quote, manservant, not in this horrible, like, everybody tries to play it up, like, oh, look, it's, you know, yellow peril or whatever the hell. No, no, no. Wong is supposed to be there to take care of the daily needs of this guy who is dedicating himself to higher things, mysticism, magic. He's basically Crowley working the Abermelon ritual. Who the hell is going to feed him while he's doing this shit? Mm. Who's going to clean the place up? That's kind of what this guy does. He's the door guard. He's the secretary. He's the, the right-hand man. Now, if you find that offensive, fine, but that's a real job. You can apply for jobs you know, where you are the right-hand man to somebody who is an important businessman or something so they can concentrate on what's important to them, what their role is. That's what, that's the way Wong is supposed to be. He's not like you know, a, a moron manservant. Here they had to go and make him like, oh yeah, I'm big and tough and cool and I'm the guardian of the books and all this kind of crap. Alright, fine. It wasn't horrible. But, you know... Basically, Benedict Cumberbatch comes in. He done stuff like Sherlock and whatever. He is pretty damn good. He really grasps the character. And in later films, when he starts going one to one with people like Chris Hemsworth, Thor, or with Tony Stark, Robert Downey, or whoever, he is dead on. The guy's got the snark. He's got the attitude, and he's got the self assurance, which is what this character is about. He's supposed to be an older character. He's supposed to be more mature, more experienced. I've been through this shit. I've been in the same spot you are, and I've kind of learned to move beyond it. So, there you go. I mean, I thought this movie was excellent. Was it perfect? No. They got a little bit of cheesy CG stuff. They got a Mordo that was like, eh, didn't really work for me, but he was alright. It wasn't horrible. They've got a love interest that's not really a love interest that didn't work for me, Rachel McAdams. They got Mads Mikkelsen, who was totally wasted as this supposed other sorcerer that basically turns everybody into zombies. It's pretty bad in that end. But, you know, again, the action in these films doesn't mean shit to me. I'm not one of these comic geeks like that. I'm there to see the drama. Even when I was reading these things back as a kid, I liked like the Avengers interlude issue and things like that where people are relating. You know, the Defenders, where they screw around on the ranch and stuff and have these little arguments and there's jokes passed back and forth. I'm about that. If you want the big explosions and shit, go see an Avengers movie. This here is more for people like that want to see the bigger picture, that want to see something more important. And yes, it does lead up to what happens in Infinity War and so forth. So I really like this film. Was it one of the best ones they made? No, but it's a good one. So, I'll stand with that. What's your take? I think it's one of the best ones they made, only because it's so unusual. Scott Derrickson, he did a really weird movie with Ethan Hawke. It was one of those things that have since become, like, I don't know, part four, five, six. And it was like Ethan Hawke was watching a 60mm projection of some tape he filmed he found in an old house, and it was like some weird shit. I don't know, Insidious may have been the first one. I was like, oh, this is freaky. So I always thought he was like a weird choice for this. And Scott Derrickson has gone to other things. As weird as this. And I've been telling you for a while now, you really have to check out Sherlock with brilliant Benedict Cumberbatch. Mm-hmm. And uh, the guy's really good. He's really good. He, he, he comes off as... Well, here's the thing. My take on this guy is he comes off as really snarky, and kind of in charge, but he's really not. He's really vulnerable, okay. and, and he's really he's learning as he goes along. But he has to project the air of authority, otherwise something will go wrong. You know, something like that. And he's really good. You know, I, I I think it was well cast. 
And that's just Hugh Strangest. He is learning as he goes along. There's no question, yeah, especially in this movie. Yeah, that's Hugh Strangest. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, the whole you know, like the whole first half hour of this film is him is just like obnoxious fucking doctor. It's full of himself. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, he's an obnoxious, belligerent <laughs> doctor. He's like the most brilliant surgeon in New York, or probably on the East Coast, probably in America. Blah blah blah. Gets into a car wreck. Blah blah blah. He's fucked up. You know, he can't, like, come back to where he was. He becomes an alcoholic, blah, blah, blah. Possibly becomes interested in Eastern mysticism. And there's your link to the Christopher Nolan Batman Begins with Christian Bale. So that, that was something like, oh, okay, somebody saw that movie. And I think, you know, I, I didn't have much of a, you know, the Mads Michelson stuff, yeah, it was it was like reaching, but I, I accepted it. And the same thing with, it was Kate Blanchett, right? You know, the Kate Blanchett stuff, you know, I accepted it. Problematic at best if you're a hardcore geek. Tilda Swinton. T- well, same thing. Yeah, t- same thing. Exactly They're both right. really skinny. Very butch, yeah. You know, you, know, you would hurt yourself if you were doing them. So... <laughs> Not really sure what team they bat for. Take it from me. I used to do skinny girls all the time. It's really hurtful. Same here. So anyway. <laughs> Ooh, ouch. Uh, this gets edited. So anyway. <laughs> so, or not. Or not. Anyway, uh, it's that kind of show, folks. Yeah, yeah, I accepted it. It was fine. I What I did like a lot, that well, one of my favorite films of the last 15 years has always been Inception for a variety of reasons, by Christopher Nolan. And he did this, he was one of the first guys to do this, like, mindfuck thing by turning towns, cities, your whole perception inside out. It was nice that they did it in this movie, and they kind of went a little forward in this film, when, like, he's chasing, or being chased by people, and, like, buildings are folding, and then skyscapes are unfolding. But I like that. I, I like that. Because I it like shows that. something that's actually true if you're into certain things where you can step outside of time. I mean, this yes. is a little too deep yeah. for the audience of this show, uh, more of the moving towards light crowd. But, you know, nonetheless, things are not always as they seem. Sure. Just take it as, in terms of chaos theory, and you go into fractals and quantum theory. Now, think about the fact that things are... You even go with the non-Euclidean geometry. I mean, there's a lot of things you could touch on here without really getting too deep and realize that what you see is kind of an illusion. That's the whole thing of the Veil of Maya that people have been talking about in various religions through the centuries. So you get outside and things will be distorted in a way. Kind of like how a lot of people say that LSD and drugs were kind of a, a shortcut to mysticism. Same idea, how everything is twisted and well, flowing and molding. True, true, but visually in cinema, nothing has been done before that. Unless you're looking at Inception, which which I think they took their, their lead from. So, no, I really like this. It was a good first step, and it shows how good how strong his character is. Even Very much in, so. Yeah, the next picture he shows up in. Logan is next. Again, I said I did not see that, and here's why. Because this is this whole old man Logan thing where he is kind of old and sick. He's losing his healing powers. Xavier is kind of like a vegetable old man. Donald Pierce, the cyborg from the Hellfire Club, is kind of the baddie in this one. It's just really super dark, and they've got X-23, who's a lame younger Wolverine thing that they brought up in later years. I, I had no interest in this, but you say it's really good, so I'll have to check it out at some point. Yeah, I, I say it's really good, but it's kind of hard to debate since you didn't see it, but it's they take a lead from that. 
but they they Professor X is older, Patrick Stewart version. We're back to that again, and he's uh, you know doddering, possibly sick. Possibly um, with all these elements that affect older people in their 70s and 80s, and thankfully not too many younger folks. And on top of that, just Logan's tired, and he's you know he's been chased his whole adult life by these yeah. minions of dark forces. I think it hits a ball out of the park. I think you should see this. We should. We could even discuss this outside of the show. Yeah. Really, really dark. I like things dark. really really good and it's so good that as i mentioned to you earlier they did a black and white version so i think there's a blu-ray that has like a black and white version of this like just like we have to tone it down a little bit and to show the the noirish values we were going for with what you know intention it's really good it's gritty and it's it's a bit shocking in a way. So next up, we're getting pretty close to modern times with Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Mm. Again, James Gunn does this, but I think he really got kind of held back by the studio and boulderized because, yes, the first one was a comedy in a lot of ways, but mm. it was a lot more of a feel-good whatever. This one is darker but stupider at the same time because now you've got Baby Groot. We knew that from the setup from the last film. All right, whatever. So now they're getting the cutesy thing in. Some of these people like Yondu, the, the bad father, if you will, from the last one, they got to make it. It's, it's again more about family, but now it's kind of reversing what it said originally. Okay, family's who you make it. No, here's your real family, but oh, by the way, they suck anyway. And here's this baddie that you had trouble with, but he's really your father because he really loved you all along, even though he treated you like shit. And he, of course, he's going to die on you, so you don't get a chance to really reconcile with him or anything else. Really, the worst part of this was the Starfucker moments, which was. Okay, Sylvester Stallone shows up really quickly, not too much. But, Kurt, but we like Sly. We like Sly. Yeah, but Kurt Russell shows up as Ego the Living Planet. And, yeah. ooh, yeah, that hey. was really bad. And what? basically, what? he schmoozes the guy into saying, oh, you know, this is part of your heritage. You could be a god. You could oh. do all this crap. And it's just, I don't know. It, the movie does not work with everything about the first one that was so good take all that back about this one and it becomes more of a if the first one was rated r which i don't think it was this is more of like the pg version not even pg-13 it's safer it's more disneyfied it's more for the kids it's more reassuring people that were disturbed by that make your own family thing from the first one and yet they throw in elements that are darker and more upsetting at the same time just kind of keep all the balls up in the air at once I did not like it. As a matter of fact, I went into this like, oh man, I really love the first Guardians. I really love the first Deadpool. Let me see how these two are going to work out. Deadpool 2 had a lot of problems, but I still laughed a lot. This one, I was like, oh my god, this movie sucks. So I really did not like this one. Not only by itself, just as a standalone film, but particularly coming from the highs of the first one. Even the soundtrack is derivative and bad. So, what's your take? I really like this one. <laughs> I figured <Okay>. that. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, seriously, I really like this one. You know I'm kidding, right? Uh, no, I, re- I really like this one. It's hard to explain because I, I see where you're coming from, your appreciation of the first movie. Okay, I got that. But this one was like going from weird corners. I don't think it was studio interference. I think they let him do what he wanted to do, and I think what he wanted to do was to do this really weird, strange stuff with Kurt Russell. And you know, okay, so who you know, who who would be like the ultimate like you know, so I guess everybody loved Kurt Russell back in the eighties, so let's bring Kurt Russell in. 
Yeah, I don't know, Kurt Russell, I like him, but yeah, yeah. So Kurt Russell was like, okay, so he's gonna be like, hey, I'm, hey, kid, I'm, I'm your father. I'm the ruler of the universe. I am the universe. You know, I was like, wow. And then he would become. I think the the shock value is that Kurt Russell is not a cool dude. No, he's an asshole. <laughs> right? Yeah. So I think that's why a lot of people got negative on this movie. That Kurt Russell, who we all grew up with, like the Fog, the Thing, you know, he's more than the Fog, but the Thing, Escape from New York, all these great classic movies. Computer wore tennis shoes. No, come on, man. <laughs> uh, would be like this evil guy. Tango and Cash. <laughs> hey, that's a cool movie. <laughs> it come has on. its moments. It has its moments. <laughs> Quotable lines galore. <laughs> uh, anyway, <laughs> we should do this the long show, should we? Yeah, we should. Uh, anyway, I I like this. I I I I thought it was nice that they threw a microworker thing. Although that they they killed them off, so the guy can't make any more money. But yeah, I didn't mind the Stallone thing. It was a bit of a surprise, was surprising Michelle Yeoh in this thing. I was like, what? Who's that? <laughs> I was like, okay. Yeah, was she like Nova Prime or something? She was one of those. Yeah, yeah. She was just like one of those throwaway people. I really enjoyed it. Not as much as the first one. I, I, I enjoyed the music as well. I actually rewatched it because I had a little bit of a doubt mm-hmm. of what was actually making me like it or not. If this makes any sense to you. And so I rewatched it on Netflix, actually. And I was like, I'm going to watch this again because... I enjoyed it. The person that went with it, went to see it with, was like, so, <laughs> like, did you like it? And, you know, it's like, it's like a cartoon. Like, all right, fuck you, get out of my life. So, it's like, so I would, I be watching. You know, I really like. I think what's what's a big issue, fanboys, guy, geeks, guys like us would have with this. It's like you making Kurt Russell to be like demon prick of the universe. Yeah, true. I, and I think that's that's an issue that's going to be like stabbing us in the heart. Kurt Russell was like the everyman. He was like the cool dude. He was the guy who spoke our lingo. He was Sneak Pliskin for Christ's sakes. And now he's like Boss Hog. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. He was Sneak Pliskin. He was the guy that said, I don't know, we'll see when it stops snowing what happens. Yo, yo. <laughs> The guy that's like gonna be like you and me when like freezing, but like one dude after everybody gets killed by the thing, and you know he's like he's the entire universe. Not only is he your father, but he's like the father of everybody. And so yo, know, it's like a big, heavy, deep thing. And so I I think the problem with this movie is like all of a sudden they decide to tackle like the biggest issues ever. Mm-hmm. And just like roll them up into like this uh, veal, pork, and beef meatball. And, and, like some of you don't like veal. I don't, don't don't do veal people. It's like cute little like fucking cow babies. Don't do that. And like pork. <laughs> no, don't do pork either because it's like it's against my my thing, man. Beef. Well, it depends. <laughs> like you know, like the, the the fucking cow tries to get at you. Like fuck it. But anyway. <laughs> But so, like, it's like a veal pork cow meatball, and it's, like, not cooked too well, you know, like, you know what I mean, with the sauce yeah, and stuff? Yeah. And, you know, my meatballs are really good, right? You tasted them. Oh, your meatballs are great. Thank you, sir. <laughs> and so, it's, like, it's not cooked too well, and you got all these ingredients, and it's just not working. But I like this movie much more than you do, and I don't have the caveats that you do. So, 
It's a film we disagree on. Okay. So next up is uh, <laughs> Spider-Man Homecoming, <laughs> where they take the Tom Holland Spider-Man, the basically he's not even a teenager at this point. He's more like, you know, just getting out of grade school that you saw yeah. in uh, the Captain America Civil War movie and give him his own movie with, you know, okay, Tony Stark's in tow. He's got a black MJ. He's not Mary Jane anymore. Happy Hogan pops up in the damn thing. John Favreau, who directed, I think it was the first Iron Man. Tyne Daly, of all people. Cagney and Lacey shows up in this thing. And Marissa Tomei is, uh, once again, Mae Parker. This was, I guess, because of the bad feelings that the skater boy left me with. One I have not seen. A lot of people love it. I can't say whether it's good or bad, though. i seen it. I didn't love it. I thought it was okay. And coming from me, okay means like, yeesh. Yeah, yeah uh, that's what I figured. <laughs> the <laughs> okay is not a ringing praise from you. <laughs> for okay. me, maybe. <laughs> no, the, the, the Tony Parker stuff, which you alluded to, was actually some of the best stuff in there. I actually used a lot of it in there. It actually should have been like Iron Man and Spider-Man versus whoever. It's, I feel indifferent to it because I feel like, why did you guys even this movie? Because you felt obligated to make another Spider-Man film? You just have a lot of Iron Man in here, so I don't know. So next up comes Thor the Comedy, also known as Ragnarok. Oh, come oh, on. Oh, God, I don't know why people love this one. Apparently you as well. Don't you uh, like that? You no, like that? no, no. I like the comedy in Guardians. I like the comedy in Deadpool. I even like the comic asides and all the other films we're talking about. But this film, yeah. it's just dumb. The pluses to it, I will say, the Doctor Strange yeah. crossover scene. I really like that. Jeff Goldblum as a distracted, pretty much likable pervert and orgiest. <laughs> Was, wasn't that Jeff Goldblum as Jeff Goldblum? More or less, yeah. <laughs> Mark Ruffalo, when he shows up as Bruce Banner, well, he's always great. I didn't like Kate Blanchett's rather butch take on Hela, but I always liked Hela. I thought that the character was one of my favorites back when. Devo's Mark Mothersbaugh, for some reason, popped in a really weird score, just like he does on the, you should really see this if you haven't seen it, Disenchanted, the new Simpsons thing that they have on Netflix. That's loads of fun. But anyway, this one here, it's just like, I don't know, it didn't make any sense. I, I like parts of it, but it was like... Yeah, whatever. You know, they always have to use something old and crappy. So what they pull out here? Okay, it's a good song, but how many times are we going to hear it in a fucking movie? Immigrant song from Zeppelin. All right, oh, really? Yeah. Come on. Now, it sounded good blasting through the speakers in the theater, but I mean, oh, my God. But there's so many problems with it. Number one is that it's a slapstick family comedy. Really? There's this whole... Okay, so Goldman's supposed to be the Grandmaster because they're talking about the Collector and all this stuff. But they have a lame Contest of Champions type thing with the Gumby Hulk running around in there going and fighting Thor and fighting other people. And a lot of people said, oh yeah, I really like this whole interplay with the Hulk. Because the Hulk's running around unchecked for most of the movie. You don't have much of Riffle and Banner in it. Problem is, he's like an autistic kid. I didn't find that funny. I found it fucking annoying. I didn't find it endearing. Oh. It's like, shut up, kid. I really, oh, Hulk like candy. Oh, oh. Fuck you. Get out of here. It was horrible. I was actually wondering who the hell wrote this fucking thing. There was a whole thing at the end where they brought in the Executioner, who had popped up once or twice in a couple of the earlier Thor films. And they gave him this pointless, you know, would-be hero send-off. Oh, look, he's got to redeem himself. It was stupid. It didn't do anything. It didn't move anybody. Whoa, hold on, hold on, hold on. I was shocked to see the credits to see who that was. It was Keith Urban. Really? Keith Urban, the country guy? <laughs> 
Yeah, no, no, that, not that Keith Urban. Okay. No, no, the, the, the Keith Urban who was in Dread. Oh, okay. <laughs> Dread. <laughs> Judge Dread movies, I know now. Um. <laughs> no, no, he, he, not that guy. Not that guy. No, 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 but... <laughs> But I will say this: Kate Blanchett, she could be a drag queen. They might as well have RuPaul player. So, <laughs> is, there, is there a problem with that? <laughs> you got a problem with drag queens? Uh, I noticed this. Come on, they're funny, but I mean, it's really, this is it's just bizarre. The only thing that really worked for me about the film overall is like, okay, this definitely worked. What was the Doctor Strange cameo at the end? <laughs> That's it. You have not hung out enough for drag queens. <laughs> so, uh, anyway. I like this movie. Come on. I really did. I enjoyed it. Actually, you saw it before I did, and I was not sure how I was going to enjoy it, and I, I really liked it. And, yeah, some of the music choices were kind of, like, rote. Like, you know, how many times do you have to hear immigrant song? And, by the way, when I was a teenager in Catholic school, I won a, a dance contest dancing to the song. <laughs> I how, and I did, and I had a choice of my gift as a prize. And, so, and if it was the Beatles' second album or Led Zeppelin two, guess which one I took? Beatles' second album. Fuck you. No, <laughs> I took Led Zeppelin two. <laughs> I, I Beatles. I wasn't that young, damn it. So, I don't know how he... I was dancing with the nun, mind you. <laughs> this is true. What did you do, the Lindy? No, no, no. This was this will go down in history. Mm. I was dancing with the nun, and I won the dance gun. That's two immigrants. Wow. So, yeah. So very mysterious. You did the Fox mysterious. Trot. The Charleston. No, 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 no. <laughs> One day you will know. So anyway, I like this movie. And so, odd soundtrack choices aside, yeah. and the really cool color schemes they decided on, it's fun. Um, Even the drunken Butch Valkyrie that's trying to celebrate into slavery and thinks it's okay? I think it's okay. Oh, I think boy. it's okay. <laughs> now, come on. Come on. You, you can invest. Your, you know, once in a while, look. We had three or four heavy fucking Avengers movies preceding us. True. So, I was like, something a little lighter is fine. Yeah, it was a little too light. <laughs> Late in the loafers. <laughs> it's all right. You know, in the context of, like, Civil War, Winter Soldier, or, like, Let's Kill Everybody and Die Ultron, I, I was fine with it, really. And the guy, an Australian filmmaker who makes odd movies, I was fine. I was really fine with it. Takika Waititi or something, yeah. Yes, yes. So we're finally up into this year with Black Panther, which was really freaking good. Chadwick Boseman returns as the titular character. I thought it was a really nice mix of, and fairly accurate, mind you, comic book history. The whole thing about Killmonger and Claw and the Man-Ape all showing up. It, it was really close in a lot of ways, surprisingly close, to the whole jungle action run that Don McGregor did with Billy Graham and others back in the late 70s, which is really good stuff. And those of you who have not read it, it's worth checking out. Yeah, it's a little disjointed. 
join it because the artists kept changing up and it was bi-monthly and whatever. It wasn't planned out. Like, let's do a six-issue arc like we do nowadays. But it wound up going on for a bit, a couple of years. And it was surprisingly close to what you're seeing here. There was a lot of Bondian elements to this. There was a little bit of this Kazar, Pellucidar sort of thing going on as well. For once, usually I complain about when they do the, quote, strong women in these films. Not because of that, but because they're usually just ball-crushing feminists. This one here, they're not. These are just women that are strong. And I was like, oh, this is a nice change. It's actually a character I can take who is a female that is not, like, out to go and show up men. They're just, they are who they are, and they're not going to take no shit. All right, good by me. I always like strong women. So you got a lot of that going on. Even his little sister, who's like the genius or whatever, that was cute. They have a cute interplay with each other. Mabaku the man-ape. Of course, they couldn't say the man-ape because that's you know, politically incorrect. But he's in there, which surprised me in the first place, and he is not just a baddie, but he's a guy that's an honorable whatever. He helps save the day at the end. There's some crappy CG stuff in there for sure, but the only thing that was even questionable was the whole thing you mentioned about Michael B. Jordan as Killmonger. And that's kind of somewhat true to the character as well. Remember, he's talking about coming to this from a Huey Newton Black Panthers kind of angle, the literal Black Panthers as opposed to the combo character. And you can kind of get where he's coming from, like it or not, agree with it or not, take this whole thing where they're trying to make it a big political movie, which it wasn't, just like Wonder Woman there. I mean, this is closer to being one than that was, but nonetheless, it was not a Black Power movie or some shit. But it certainly was a film in which most of the characters were black and were powerful and were totally believable, well-acted, strong, and could pull it off. And I was totally, I enjoyed the hell out of this movie. Parts of it were very Bondian, like I said. Parts of it were very jungle adventure. Here's all this weird stuff in the middle of Africa with all this tech and whatever the hell. Parts of it were mildly political, like this whole rivalry with this guy taking over Wakanda to try to take it back from the white man or whatever the hell, which is crazy. But all right, fine, you get it. You get where he's coming from. And yet, you know, what's right and what's wrong, and there you go. And the guy is believable as a kingly demeanor. The whole thing worked. I was very happy with this film, surprisingly so. I thought it was very good, very well done. A lot of the things you noted, I agree with. Uh, but at the same time, it wasn't as good as I expected it to be. I read tons and tons of stuff before I saw it. I was like, really? 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 Okay. And then when I finally came to watch it and view it, mm-hmm. unimpended, I was like, yeah, okay, it's all right. So they set the bar too high for you? Well, no, they just set the bar too high for me. I just thought, uh, I mentioned earlier about another film. It's a kind of thing like people who don't see kind of movies that we do and when they do they're like amazed that they actually have these things in these kind of films they they actually inject this kind of stuff in there you know whether contemporary or or actually dramatic or they're not just cartoons you know they're not just entertainment they're not just action although you really like this one and, and i hear you i hear you on this it's just it was over-politicized and it was overhyped, but nonetheless, I thought it really held up to it. So. I, I was a little let down because it's like, okay, it's okay. It's a little <laughs> long, it's all right. I didn't think it was long enough. <laughs> and wow. It was a long film, so that shows you. <laughs> well, look at that. That's why I was surprised when you said, like, this guy Michael B. Jordan. I'm like, wow, are you fucking kidding me? Nah, I didn't remember him. I, I, this is the first time I thought he was ever in. 
<laughs> yeah, he's like he was like the second lead in this picture. Yeah. You know. but, like I remember his name. It's not like from Newark or some shit or Patterson. <laughs> Aye, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, I didn't even like his character. I mean, I was like, oh, whatever. I get where he's coming from, but whatever. He's the asshole that they got to slap down. <laughs> No, it was highly enjoyable. It was it was very entertaining. It was very uh for certain no, for a lot of people it was very life affirming. True. Yeah, you know, we got to remember it's not made for us. Well, I you that's know. a little obnoxious, but yeah, I know what you're saying cuz it's right now. No, no, no. With the I'm Trump era obnoxious. what's going on? You were correct. No, no, not even that. No, come on. Come on. You know, like you say it's not made for us. I know what you're saying, but you know, it's, come on. No, how many people of color have a superhero? Come on. Unfortunately, that's still a bit of a drag. They don't have as many as they should. I saw that but. a lot on social media. It's for us. You know, so I'm like, okay. But that's almost like saying, okay, I can only go to see Crazy White Asians where the hole it is because, you know, I'm Asian. That's the only film that's ever represented me. Really? No, no, no. I saw Crazy... <laughs> or crazy I'm not allowed to see it because I'm white. No, I, I saw Crazy <laughs> Rich Asians because I got to think. That's different. Yeah. So... <laughs> So, uh, no, I, I won't. You're not the only one. I won't go there, but I, I just said, I will say I support that you enjoy it so much and support it so much and got so much out of this Black Panther. Mm-hmm. But for me, I was a little disappointed because maybe my, you might be right, maybe my bar was raised so high. Yeah. Or maybe I just thought that maybe dramatically... I was expecting more, and it wasn't going to happen. Because I'll tell you, I definitely walk into movies where people really put it down, like, say, an Ant-Man or something like that. And I'm like, no, that was actually not that bad. Or even even Fantastic Four. Right, and then yes. you get something where they really praise it, and I walk in, I'm like, that wasn't that fucking good. What are you, crazy? So I get that. Yeah. I wonder how much I played into it. Anyway, so next up is Infinity War, which... It's one of those films that everybody praises that I was like, what the fuck were you watching? Were you watching the but same I movie? I like that. I like uh, that. Okay, so... It's a battleground movie. <laughs> you got the whole usual cast in it, plus Bendit, Cumberbatch, is Doctor Strange. Who else is in this that wasn't there Everybody's before? Everybody's in it. Tom Holland's in it again. All Everybody. The crowd, they bring a lot of the Black Panther film crowd. They bring a lot of the Captain America film crowd. And some they the all Thor crowd. Die, man. Guardians of the Galaxy. They all bring it all together. Okay. So they big... all die. They all die. It's yeah, a... it's it's a big star fucker movie, but the movie sucks. I mean, what? basically, what oh. happens is you get little snatches, just like with all the Avengers films, of okay, here's these people interacting. Okay, that's fine. But here it's limited to maybe three minutes a piece. Oh look, here's the Vision and the Scarlet Witch having a real life in Glasgow for three minutes. And then, oh, no, we got to get back to the plot. And this big overarching plot involves almost the entire movie of fucking Josh Brolin, who I don't really care about anyway, who's in the next film as well. We'll talk about that. And he's Gumby. Basically, it's Gumby. The entire movie is about Gumby. And Gumby is going to take over the universe because he's in love with death and he's going to set everything right. And people are like, oh, look, he has half a point. I had a lot of people saying Thanos was right. I was like, really? Are you crazy? You must be a Trump supporter. Oh, yeah, we're so overpopulated. We can't handle the people on Earth. So I'm just going to get rid of them impartially at random and knock them on two-thirds of the universe. And that way the rest will have plenty of room to grow. And We've been talking about overpopulation since the 60s. So if you haven't figured it out by now... Grow up, really. I mean, fuck you. And that's kind of what this film was. It was a load of bullshit featuring Gumby and some really quick cameos from everybody else in the Marvel Universe who all die at the end. I'm like, this film sucks. 
I really, really hate this film. It may be, I don't want to say one of the worst, because Ultron existed, but it's probably one of the worst Avengers films, and maybe one of the worst Marvel films ever made. So, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> would, would you like to see a therapist? <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. Let me hear this. I like this. Come on. <laughs> you crazy bastard, you. No, it's, it's first of all, we knew what was coming. Okay, it's three hours of everybody slowly getting together, including people we did not expect, like the Guardians. Okay. And the eyeless Thor. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. We got everybody together. We got like, what, 20, 25 people? Yep. And so Thanos sits down and pontificates. Yes, and over-pontificates, like, and talks, and talks. He talks <laughs> about what his reasons are. Why? A percentage of the people allowed to survive is better than a percentage of the people allowed to die. So, you know, there's that. I liked it as a downer, because I like downer movies, man. Yes, you do. And so, (laughs) I did not dislike it or hate it as much as you. Although, I went with someone who was like, what was that? What we just watched? I, I don't get it. I didn't have a problem with Gumby, Josh Brolin, <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 it's hard to debate a movie. Was, you really, really did not like this. Yeah. And while I really, really, really did not like it, I really, really, really did not hate it. So yeah, That's acceptable. <laughs> it's not like you're a crazy fanboy saying Thanos was right. You're just like, okay, well, I like things about it. Fine. Well, no, I understood where it was coming from. But at the same time, I have no bloody idea. Although the biggest clue lies with Doctor Strange. Or yeah, Hero, you were dead on with that one. Who said, you know what? It's all about the time of Infinity Stone. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, I remember he was going through all the possible timelines and see what the results were. And, oh, yeah, his powers are in the nature of time and all crap. Okay, there you go. And, you know, there were some heroes that were left alive you know, from various films, even though you saw them at the end of their own films getting kind of evaporated. Well, the one thing was at the very end of this picture, when Nick Fury, before he, he, he too disappears, picks up a thing, and I was hoping it was somebody cool. No, it's not. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, a beeper for a friggin', I don't know, a really butch young Captain Marvel, which is really Ms. Marvel, by the way, from the 70s, but yeah, yeah I'm not looking forward to that one either. Anyway, Back. so next up comes Deadpool 2, which was a big letdown. First off, the first Deadpool was full of jokes, and it was all about his relationship and pending engagement to this girl. Okay, fine. Well, now, basically she gets killed off really fast in the middle of a bunch of jokes. It's still a lot of funny shit in here. The film is about, overall, instead of outsider romance, you know, misfits getting together, it's about building a family, and he's fatherdom, specifically. He's going to be a father. So, not with her, though, because she's dead. So, what is he doing? He's building an ersatz family, where he gets a whole bunch of people that are more or less his children, and he makes, if you will, X-Force, which is a bad idea from Liefeld, just like a lot of these things in the Deadpool films. So, you have Cable in it, which is Gumby, Josh Brolin, who's a lame character in the first place. Well, one thing, first of all, they decided, and I guess it was from Ryan Reynolds, they said, you know what? Deadpool, for some reason, is not a straight male character he is bisexual or pansexual or something else so the whole movie is filled with him making jokes about how he wants to suck everybody's cock 
and gay jokes. I'm like, really? This is what this has devolved to? The first film, he's ready to marry this woman. It's all about getting involved with this woman. Now, all of a sudden, he's like, can't decide whether he's straight or gay, and he wants to like, blow every guy he sees. And that's all it is. Nine-tenths of the jokes in this film are him making cocksucking motions, or I want to blow you, or I want to fuck you, or yeah, let me touch you, let me feel you up. And really? I was just like, this is absurd. I mean, if he was like this originally, if it was a gay character, if they brought in North Star or something and made it into a comedy thing, fine. But this guy was not gay. When you decide he was suddenly this overly homoerotic, pansexual, crass, it just sucked. Then you get these characters that he brings in for X-Force. All right, well, one of them was actually funny because he was like a normal guy that, you know, they gave him all his problems, like he's type 2 and type 1 diabetic or something, and he's just like a businessman type. And he has no powers whatsoever, but he's gung-ho to join X-Force. And, of course, he gets killed right away. And all these other people have stupid powers, kind of like the Great Lakes Avengers. The only one that survives all this stuff is this weird girl named Zazie Beetz. Nice name. Who's got this huge-ass fro that's like, you'd think it came out of a Pam Greer movie in the 70s. And she's supposed to be Domino. Where her only power is luck, which means you know, she walks around the street and buses are exploding behind her. And whatever it goes to her advantage. It's a stupid power. It's a stupid character. Whatever. And that's what this whole film is. It's basically him going around, trying to help out this kid. He's like a fat kid that I thought was supposed to be Pyro or something, because he's got like a New Zealander accent. He's trying to keep him from becoming like an evil villain, because he's having problems at school or getting pushed around, and he's in like reform school or whatever. So I was like, okay, you know, I, I can see where this kid's coming from. I'm cool with this. But then instead of making him like whatever, he's just, first off, he's a no-name character that you never heard of before. And second, they try to make him like the evil baddie from the future. And that's why Cable comes back to make sure that he can go either kill him or whatever the hell. And meantime, he's trying to like turn him around and make him see the light and become a good character. It's awful. This is not Deadpool. This is not anything like the first film, except for the cheap jokes. Most of the characters that you loved from the first film are gone or not, don't play much of a part. It's just, I don't know, it was bad. Again, like Guardians 2 to Guardians 1, you came in with a really high bar. Like, this is one of the greatest movies they made. I really loved this. This is like one of the best superhero films I've seen from Marvel Studios or outside of them. And then they come in with this piece of shit. And I'm like, yeah, this just doesn't work. And I'm glad that it's the last one they're doing because I don't know where they would have gone from here. <laughs> so what's your take? Are you having a bad day? <laughs> it's hard for me to like even respond to this. When you go on for eight minutes, I want you to hate something. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what you're here for. Go for it. <laughs> I like this. You crazy bastard, you. Uh, uh, <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's fine. It was solely over the top terms of gore yes uh yeah i know they they open the picture with the death of the woman he loves which we knew how much he loved in the first film and yet it's crazy and i wasn't sure whether i liked it or not until about half an hour in when it just got even more crazy you didn't even name check or mention the uh the lesbian superheroine Oh, yeah, Negasar Teenage Warhead again, and yeah. her uh, Japanese girlfriend. Yeah, girlfriend's yeah. Cute. It's, his girlfriend's cute. And he, like, Deadpool was like, hey, how are you doing? Yeah, that's like, hi, Deadpool. <laughs> hi, Deadpool. <laughs> but, you know, it was pointless. Yeah, yeah, but Deadpool was like, hey, I want to bang you, too. But, you know, like, <laughs> I know you got a girl. So, you know, it's like, oh, okay. I liked it. I did not hate it as much as you did. You had, like, a bubonic plague 
thing like stay away from me kind of thing going on there. It was really bad. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of jokes I laughed at, but you know, yeah. they're rapid fire. Yeah. If you put 300 jokes into whatever it is, two hours, then yeah, maybe if 75 of them hit, then that's not a bad ratio. But it's the first one. 275 of those hit, so that's a big difference. I liked it. You did. Okay, go on. I guess last up is Ant-Man and the Wasp, which is one of the most recent ones. They did a sequel. We finally got the Wasp as a heroine, which is what we all wanted from the first one. Uh, she finally gets rid of that stupid wig. Great. Problem is that, well, if you want to call it a problem, it's coming off of Civil War, so he's locked in his house. He's got an ankle bracelet and the whole thing. He's got this closet gay who's actually Jimmy Woo if you remember the Yellow Claw comics from the 50s or the Shield comics from the 60s he was basically supposed to be this hyped up G-man slash secret agent slash whatever yet here he comes and he's like I don't know he's like wants to go out with dinner with Deadpool and it's like he's a total loser he's got no friends and uh, they play it for humor obviously but it's like what the fuck is that all about? It's really obnoxious because every place he goes, he's got to go quick run back or have some sort of thing like, oh, they'll put an ant there playing the drums or something so they think it's me so that he's never really leaving the house even though he is. You got a lot more of Michael Douglas in this one. Of course, you also get the I never even notice her when she's in a film full time, Michelle Pfeiffer as Jenna Van Dyne who now has mystical powers from being in the micro realm for whatever or something. There is a couple of really bad nonsensical villains there's this guy well first off they got this one called ghost is this really ugly ugly girl it reminded me of when i saw resident evil and michelle rodriguez got all those close-ups making those weird faces can't keep calling people ugly come on <laughs> she is she is hurting man anyway it's painful watching her and they bring in black goliath who's another fun character from the 70s kind of a minor thing who took over for a while. They kept him on as Bill Foster, and every once in a while, like he'd show up in one comic or another as Black Goliath. He's a scientist. He was sort of partners with Hank Pym. He took on the growth serum, whatever. Here, he's a baddie. Okay, yeah, he's supposed to be protecting her or whatever. Come on, really? And then they've got this guy who's like a freak, Walton Goggins, and he's going around trying to go and sell off the Ant-Man armor or some shit to foreign bidders. It's... I don't know. And then what happens, the original one, like I said, was a heist film and a buddy film all of scott's pals all these ex-cons that he was like going around doing stuff with are kind of reduced to a very small unfunny comic sequence or two big thing in this one is though yeah the monkey's talking about oh yeah baba yaga you know baba yaga and it's just this you know russian fairy tale about a witch parts of it are really nice i did like seeing a lot of evangeline lily running around doing stuff with him but parts of it are just painful and compared to the first one I'd say I wish they mixed the two together. Took elements of this one, put it into the first one, and you'd be better off. It didn't work as well. Once again, sequelitis. I think you spent way too much fucking time talking about a movie you didn't like. So, <laughs> <laughs> it was okay. It was it was okay. Always good to see Michael Douglas, who sometimes looks well and sometimes not. They had a problem they didn't deal with, because this came out after Infinity Wars, theatrically, except that Ant-Man was in Infinity Wars, so they either should have held on to it or released it beforehand. So they created a huge conundrum with this movie, as far as that goes, and the character. That being said, you know... Decent character actors getting elevated to leading... But Walter Groggins was also elevated to a leading bad guy in the Tomb Raider. The Tomb Raider remake with whoever her name was, Mm -hmm. with him as a bad villain, which was like, why? Yeah, was he as bad as he was here? (laughs) 
He's not a bad guy. He's just like you can't you can't make a character actor a leading man. It's just not gonna work. Michael Ripper starring in. <laughs> exactly. Well, he could probably pull. It he up. could. Uh, yeah. He could. No, but but seriously though, you know, it's like okay, the guy's you know I'm not taking anything away from the guy's paycheck. You know, you gotta feed family. But what happened? That 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 movie totally collapsed. <laughs> it opened and closed opening weekend. Like I'm yeah. sorry, you know, a lot of people diss the Angelina Jolie two Tomb Raiders. They're fun. They I like work. those two. Yeah, they were great. They're fine. They're fine. And Daniel Craig, first roles. <laughs> yeah, you see one of them and. Gerard Butler's in the other one. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's fine. You, you know, okay, this leads us up to... Well, that is present day. <laughs> yeah, which is not Green Lantern coming up soon. They released a trailer for Captain Marvel, which looks just like fucking Green Lantern, <laughs> which is a DC property, except this is supposed to be Marvel, starring mm-hmm. a 30-something-year-old woman who looks like a 19-year-old girl. Yes, she looks like a kid. And the trailer is terrible. Now, I've even said when I post about this on Facebook, I know social media, where I said, I, I don't want to judge this movie by its trailer, because we shouldn't. But this looks like Green Lantern starring a kid. And Green Lantern was a huge bomb. And who thought of this? Yep. And uh, this is the person that Nick Fury calls at the end of Infinity Wars for help. We're in fucking trouble. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I mean, I think I really think about this now. Because the suit's got to go, but it's not. Mm-hmm. It's the movie's made. The haircut's got to go. The haircut's got to go. And what is all these flashbacks to scenes we never seen before in of somebody's original film? Mm-hmm. It's her debut, the character's debut movie, and the trailer already shows flash flashback scenes. And I'm like, <laughs> flashbacks to what? We've never seen her before. Yep. And I'm like, oh, this is not good. They're trying to squeeze her into continuity. You know what it is? They had to have somebody beat Thanos, and if they were going to do that, I, they had to either do Captain Marvel or Adam Warlock. And Adam Warlock, even though I love to see him, brings a lot of metaphysical baggage with him. And you could go into some really bizarre pseudo-Christian kind of stuff I, I, that would really I, I, offend I the Bible you, thumpers. I hear you, but so. they should have cast it older for her. I yes, know, why they cast it old so young? They should have did the Cochran Ms. Marvel when she had the long hair and the lightning yeah, bolts on it. I sash don't and, know what's going on yeah. with this. Uh, we'll see. Yeah, so thanks for joining us tonight. We hope you enjoyed our long three-week worth of Marvel movies and DC and, and movies. This, this show, even with edits, is probably looking at three hours. Oh, so. so that's it for this season. Next time around, we'll be talking season seven, where we will cover things you will be surprised at. If you'd like to contact us here, comment, suggestions, or you're a filmmaker, musician, who'd like to join us on here, drop us on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash weirdscenes1, or our website, weirdscenes1.wordpress.com. We're also on Twitter at Weird Seeds 1. Weird Seeds Inside the Goldmine, brought to you by the wholly non-existent Big Papa Online Network on Rockville Radio. So anything else you want to say in closing? No, thank you for listening and good night. Whew, that was a marathon.
Good thing is, that's the end of this season, so uh, I have ideas for season seven we can talk about. Whenever yeah, you we, have, we have to talk about that. I, I've just been, like, so busy with my life. I'll give you one right off. This is the one that came out of left field, but you'd love. Oh, yeah, the one you thought I'd like a lot. What was Elvis it? movies. I heard crickets. Uh, <laughs> Elvis, huh? Wow. Because we did a thing recently, rewatched all his movies, and I took notes, and I'm like, this is great. This, this is like, nobody would expect this. It's somewhat mainstream, but somewhat really fucked up and culty. We could talk a lot about Elvis's weird quirks and whatever the hell else besides. You maniac, you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, <sighs> hmm. I couldn't imagine... But that's the one I was, like, pretty excited about. I'm like, okay, I'm ready for this one. <laughs> this is going to be ridiculous, and, you know, we can do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I think so. I, like, the supporting cast is also worth talking about most of Yes, it is. Yes, you know, it is. Uh, the ladies and, and, and the guys. And some, some old Hollywood people show up in these things. Yeah. It's weird. They're really weird friggin' movies. And, of course, they do have their own little style. It's like he's off in his own world. There was something I read a long time ago about how out of touch was Elvis in the 60s? And they actually put out a timeline of events that were happening socioculturally in the world. And right. then what Elvis was doing, what movie he was in, what ridiculous song was the hit from this movie. You know, like, oh, yeah, you know, here we are escalating into Vietnam. And, you know, Jane Fonda sitting on tanks. And the Watts riots are going on. And Elvis sings, do the clam. I mean, you know, like, <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. It's funny that you bring that up. Because I was thought there was a few of those. He was actually not bad. Oh yeah, he's not a bad actor. He's actually very likable for most part. And, and you know, it's it's funny. Uh, I had this talk last night and this morning with somebody. I watched a movie that when I saw, I think ninety three, ninety four, when it came out, I thought it was terrible. And I watched it last night because it was on Netflix. And I'm sorry, there's only like fifty pictures on Netflix. And if you go to action, okay, the same to, ones keep popping up. I hate that. Yeah, drama. <laughs> hey, wait a minute, I just saw that. <laughs> so I watched, I rewatched Assassins last night with uh, Stallone Banderas, who's definitely somewhere else, Julianne Moore, and it's a Richard Donner picture, and I completely forgot that Donner did that. And I said, you know what? This has got to be one of Stallone's top top ten acting pictures. He's so reserved in this, and he's so dialed down. He's actually delivering a performance. And I was like, this guy is really good in this. And Donner knows how to shoot him. He made him look great. I was like, wow, look at this. And, you know, my wife is like, who is that guy? Because don't ask me about Antonio Banderas. We just watched a bunch of recent pictures of him. <laughs> he didn't age that much, you know. And it sounds like my wife's like, Do I, I think I recognize this guy. Yes, we just saw him 20 times. <laughs> oh, he looks different. Yeah, I, I, it was like, and it sprung into my my head this thing that we could. I don't know how workable it is. What, like Stallone pictures? That's fine by me. I like Stallone. Yes, yeah, I haven't seen them all, but I got some ones that are really out there, ones that people like always made fun of that I love. Yeah, like Cobra or Rhinestone. Uh, what the hell? Over the top, which is horrible. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, he's done a lot of <laughs> shit, but at the same time, he's done some movies where he's really good. Hey, he did Demolition Man, so he's always on my good list. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that? But, uh, which is funny. I, I was uh, at work the other day, and somebody's, I, I just enter, and these two people are having a conversation, blah, 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 blah. You know the one that's not Judge Dredd? I said, you mean Demolition Man? Oh. Huh? I said, the one with Wesley Snipes. Oh, yeah, is that it? And I'm like, yeah. 
So and the funny uh, thing is, I always keep thinking it's Dennis Rodman in that movie because that's who he was copying with the crazy color hair and Mark. The... <laughs> no, it just really occurred to me. I said, you know what? I would defend him with this picture. I, I would say, you know, I remember seeing it and I didn't like it. I probably saw it in a the theater, but I don't know what was going. You know, sometimes things are going on with your head and you just. That's actually, I realize. I always when people ask me what's the film that most either influenced you as a person, if you want to say that, mm. or that is the most quotable in your life that you constantly bring it up, and I always say Conan, and that's true. You know, that was a big thing on me, especially since I was the age I was when I saw it in the theater. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how I experienced life and being that young and saying, "Hey, wow, somebody understands this." It was like, "Wow." This is really mind-blowing. But, plus it was a great movie, great soundtrack, the whole deal. But it turns out, I'm listening to like some of the old podcasts I've done and everything else, talking to other people. I'm like, you know, I think I quote Demolition Man just as much, if not more. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and, and, and the, last, the last word on this picture was, so the DPs, Vilmos or Zygmunt, okay, mm-hmm. wow. And it's written by the Wachowskis, wow. You know, right. it, just, it just kept seeing, you know, I'm watching the credits, and I'm like, you gotta be fucking kidding me! <laughs> yeah, like, like the, you know, the stunt coordinators, like this guy and this guy's doing the, the assistant production. I'm like, these are big names, and it's funny. I, I, I actually think it's much better a movie than any of the the 14 Lethal Weapon pictures. And it's like, um, you know, like this is one of Donner's better movies and and mm-hmm. uh, I, i'm sure he probably i don't know what happened there but it, it definitely benderas was either told to do this this is probably right after his huge crossover with desperado desperado yeah uh, so i i'm not quite sure if he was told to do this or if he was just so much a powder cake to just said mm-hmm. go crazy <laughs> yeah it was it was really then it stuck in my mind I said you know what this guy's done enough pictures that, you know, we could probably do something. All right, let's go back to superheroes. Every Sunday night at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, tune in to Third Eye Cinema, your source for in-depth discussion of cult cinema with a focus on film that matters. Cult, grindhouse, drive-in, independent, and underground film from the dawn of the talkies through the early 90s. This is a forum where we explore genre film and music from around the world, in-depth conversation and career analysis with directors, actors, and musicians, and open discussion on films that matter, those that fall outside the mainstream corporate film by boardroom committee. These are the problems of the auteur, the visionary, the dreamer, the outsider. None of that direct that passes for mainstream film these days. This is all about the glory days of independent cinema from all over the world. Any of the hotbeds of obscure, oddball, or generally wild cinema available on DVD from the dawn of the medium to this very day. Join us as we delve deep into the cinematic netherworld here on Third Eye Cinema. Sundays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, on the Big Papa Online Network on Blog Talk Radio. What is At Eye Level? A reductio ad absurd and look at the headlines, from politics to pop culture, from the corporate to the individual. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern, we take a not-so-serious look at the serious issues of the day. Whether it's politics, economics, social issues, music, or old movies and TV shows, we discuss everything the corporate media overlooks while making you laugh at the absurdity of it all. Hell, you've got to have a sense of humor about life. Just look at the headlines. So join me, Matt G. And me, Doc Savage. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern as we navigate the sea of trolls, talking points, and trickery. We'll try to figure out a way to be there when tomorrow comes. At eye level, bringing more to you. Only on the Big Papa Network, on Blog Talk Radio.
Join us on Tuesday nights at 6.30 Eastern for an exploration of the many roads and methods which promise to lead us to the ultimate answer, a higher purpose, the meaning of life. I'm just like a lot of you, a middle-aged mom with piles of laundry and a meditation practice. I've been down many roads to get where I am today, and my journey is far from finished. But I'd like to share my experience and hard-earned wisdom with you. So what is it about women and spirituality? It seems like we're always the first to try out something new. Christianity was spread in large part by wealthy women. And where would Uncle Al be without a scarlet women? Who is by and far the largest audience of new age alternative spirituality? What is it about us that always has us seeking? And why does it always seem that men tend to take over what we discover? Join us for a dialogue between two long-lost friends representing both the yin and yang aspects of the whole, each of whom have traveled multifarious paths all across the spectrum of spirituality, the dark side and the light, from the organized to the out of the way. This show is for all those frustrated in their quest who've been through various stops on the spectrum of spirituality and found them ultimately unfulfilling. Join us for some hard-earned lessons and thoughts on potential new directions and possible value in what inevitably fails in organized practice, but which may have some merit to the solo practitioner and fellow seekers of truth in this journey towards life. Moving towards life. Lessons in life and spirituality from an unconventional seeker. Bringing more to you only here on the Big Papa Online Network. On Blog Talk Radio. Thursday night at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Join us for Weird Scenes Inside the Gold Mine, your essential guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Drop in for a spell with Doc Savage, Lois Paul, myself. Discuss the beloved, the Katie, the weird, and the wonderful world of cult films, music, television, and more. We'll be covering classic films, shows, musicians, and literature of the past, with an eye towards what new visions may still arise from the soullessly derivative mire of our modern age. Tune in turn on and take a step outside the mainstream as we dig deep into the rich vein of cult cinema, music, and television right here on Weird Seats Inside the Gold Mine. Only here on the Big Papa Online Network on Blog Talk Radio. 